Welcome to the Borderlands Podcast. I'm your host, Denrock. I'm super glad you tuned in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Please spread the word about this podcast to any friends or family or anyone else you think may be interested in listening. I can be found on any podcast platform, such as uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Podbean, who hosts me, uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon just search for the borderlands podcast um if you simply put in borderlands you're going to get a million results but the borderlands podcast you'll find me um and once again thanks and enjoy all right so we're live um listeners i want you to welcome an old friend of mine i mean at least i've known him forever since uh, high school days john how to show a very um interesting life story he's had a career in aviation which i think is incredibly awesome um we're gonna get into that um i think he's interested in telling another kind of interesting and slash tragic story um i'll let him get into that when he's ready but uh, please welcome john how john how you doing good good hey it it is a happy story yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe a tragic twist but i think we all have them yeah certainly i know i do um i think when you're you know, you, you grow up to be a professional, um, life is not always, uh, as hunky dory as it might seem, you know, if someone looked at your bank account or what car you drive or, you know, what plane you're flying in. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it comes with challenges. I think, uh, you know, maybe even all walks of life. So we'll go back to the beginning. Um, how long have we been acquainted? It's at least, 30 years now 91 maybe 91 92 something that's true right maybe almost yeah 30 years Uh, we went to um huntington high school together huntington high yeah which um uh in that form does not exist anymore i mean the structure is still there but but now they're the now they're the highlanders and their and their colors are different yuck but yeah, we yeah, uh, it, so we had some classes yeah. together. Um, you know, we're we're somewhat acquainted in high school. Uh, what I you know what I want to get across to the listeners is all the first thing I knew about John uh, back in the day. So we were what probably fourteen, fifteen years old, thirteen maybe. Yeah, yeah. You were flying airplanes, and I didn't know any other kid yeah. doing that. Like that's <laughs> that was the most cool thing back then. <laughs> it remains the most cool thing. Like, um. Because, I mean, I, I have bounced around this idea of going to flight school or whatever it's called, but then I chicken out. Um, so, I like, I kind of want to open up, like, what was this like growing up as a pilot? Or I assume you grew up around airplanes, like, even as a very, very young child as well. Like, tell us, tell us something about that. You know, I, um, yes and no. I mean, I, I had older brothers, so I'm one of five. Uh, kids kind of smack in the middle. I had older brothers in their interest. They build model airplanes, try to keep me from playing with them and tearing them up, you know, as a, as a little kid. But I, I grew up in the West End of Huntington and, you know, you know, late seventies, early eighties. And, you know, the little general aviation airport across the river in, in Lawrence County, Ohio was a pretty active general aviation airport at the time. Yes. And had a pretty involved community, even all the way up through the nineties. And, you know, I grew up, in my you know, playing your backyard play in, in St. Cloud Commons Park and and you know, you're under the downwind and approach to the airport. 
And so, you know, all day you're just seeing airplanes. And I, I just remember earliest memories, looking up and spotting planes and seeing planes and wanting to do that. Um, yeah, you that's know, true. And you probably, not, you probably saw the planes coming in and out of uh, Huntington Tri-State or whatever the heck it was called bit. back then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. So I was really, I had this thirst for, for learning more about it. And, you know, like, like anybody, you need a radio controlled airplane or you build models as a kid. And I got involved in, in an organization, which I, I owe a lot to, um, civil air patrol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I got some scholarship money out of them. I, I did a lot of encampments and things. And you basically, you're just kind of like a, a, a high level nerd. Right, yeah. <laughs> you, you are. Yeah. You, you're, you're. Yeah, I mean, you're. You're beyond playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, level of nerddom, and which back then it wasn't cool. But uh, I made there were a lot of adults involved in this, and, and I made friendships that I have with those adults to this day. And I have a gentleman that's almost ninety years old. That back then he was a retired welder, and from and was involved in the program. He bought and sold airplanes. Okay. And I would watch his airplane. You know, I remember getting out of school in Huntington High School, running out to the airport and helping him wash. I'm laying on a creeper like a, like you would a car, like a mechanic mm-hmm. with a car. And I'm washing the grease off the belly of the airplane. And he'd take me flying. Oh, that's cool. And so I just did, you know, you know, beg, borrow, steal kind of thing. Anything you could do to get into an airplane. And so everybody would teach me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had, you know, just a great fortune of the people that you come across. You know, and we can all say we come across people in our life that, um, that you know, you meet the asshole, right? Like everybody's like, oh, I don't like this person, or whatever. That, that's kind of too easy to point out. But <laughs> but when you think really, really hard about those people, and, and I, I tend to think I'm luckier than the average cat, um, that... I have all these great people in my life. And one gentleman to this day, we, we keep in touch. If it's my birthday, he's calling me. We talk at the holidays. I try to go visit him when I'm in town. Um, their daughter is who's older than us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I don't, if, if I'm busy, I'm, I'm flying or I'm gone and he's called me and it went to voicemail and I'm in the air and my phone didn't work. His daughter will be like, you know, Dad's starting to worry about you. Could you give him a call? Oh. <laughs> you know, it's that close. Wow. It's That's that really close. Cool. And it's just just a great man who's been um, just a solid influence in your life. So it's, it's just it's really cool. It's, it's heartwarming to think about that and how they inspired you, encouraged you to do those things. Because, you know, I mean, it's um, – Huntington, West Virginia is not – you know, you, you grew up there, at least from the perspective of where I grew up in the West End. Mm-hmm. It's not really encouraging to, to drink. You know, I, I remember being told by guidance counselors or um, yeah. you know, teachers, like, you know, you're from the West End of Huntington. You really ought to focus on trying to get a job at, like, a store or a factory or something. People don't really fly from mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And well, I was, like, gut-wrenching, you know? It was just... Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're already starting to dispel one of the, um, one of the things that I always believed about, uh, getting into aviation is that it was cost prohibitive. It is. It, oh, it, so, oh, it is. Yeah. It okay. It can be, man. I mean, you've got a big bar of steel, you know, you, you work hard. Yeah. Uh, there, there is, you know, financial aid for those, 
you know, like, like myself, that you need it, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and, you know, fortunately I had parents who, you know, helped out a lot too. Yeah. And, um, it's, um, you know, if you want something bad enough, there, there's a way, right? I'm, I'm a big <laughs> believer in, in that nothing's really impossible, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, no, so some uh, so, uh, supportive family as well. It sounds like um, I feel like I, I mean, I don't think I ever approached my parents and said, "Hey, I want to fly airplanes." But I can only imagine they'd be like, "What do you want to fly planes for? Go out there and play soccer, play baseball, play football, yeah, whatever." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I had you know my my parents were very much working you know working you know my mom was gosh you know my my mom really dropped out of school. She had like a sixth grade education. She was one of twelve. She was literally impoverished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, growing up, my dad worked in a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, and where did he work um, in Huntington? You know, it was a, well, he didn't work in Huntington. He worked in, in Kentucky at, at Calgon Carbon. Oh, okay. So okay. So I'm good, familiar good with that job, place. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they um, they sacrificed a lot uh, for us. I mean, I had four brothers. I mean, I've got. Um, I also have you know, four brothers. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, yeah I was the middle one. Yeah, except I'm the oldest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got all the complex, you know. Yeah, that's right. But, but uh, yeah, you know, um, but my brothers were high achieving, you know, uh, guys. You know, I, I kind of laugh and joke. I mean, that that you know, the oldest became an attorney, and the, the, the next one was a mechanical engineer, and. The one younger than me, he's a mechanical engineer who went on got masters with it. Mm-hmm. Like he literally works on rockets. He's a rocket scientist, no joke. And then one's a pharmacist, and you know, it's like don't don't tell my mom I became a pilot; it would break her heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She thinks yeah. I play piano in a whorehouse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, oh, keep going, man. Don't let me interrupt you. Yeah, so no, I I, I uh, was fortunate enough to go to Embry Riddle in Daytona Beach, which is you know the, the self-proclaimed Harvard of the skies. At least that's what the brochure said. Uh, but no, it is it's a it's a great program. So um, is that like uh, str- tell the the listeners may not know this. I, I know I've heard of that place, but it, does it like strictly aviation studies? Not anymore. I mean, there's there's humanities, uh, everything in the campus. At that time, there was it was highly focused, but there was engineering programs, mm, okay. uh, business business degrees, everything. It was a fully accredited, really good university, who had a pretty heavy slant to to aviation, and obviously had a big flight department. Not unlike like now, you see the kind of the seedling with with Marshall's flight program, which I just think is a great thing mm-hmm. starting out right now. So, but it, it was just one, uh, one degree program yeah. or actually several that you could actually fly at the same time. Flying was kind of like lab and classroom was practical. If you want to put it in, put it in those terms. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then where from there? Uh, you know, I actually taught at the university for a couple of years afterwards. Uh, did a little courseware development, which is not an, an instruction. Professor hmm. <laughs> No, far from professor, not faculty, but you are, and you're not even a junk, you're a flight instructor, but then okay. I, I kind of delved, delved into the classroom and a little bit of course development type stuff on the, on the College of Aviation. But um, it, um, 
a lot of people did that in their career path at that time. You know, the industry wasn't in, in the swing that it is right now in your building experience and time. And then off to, you know, at that point you kind of get, you kind of fall into this, what's everybody doing? You know, they're going off to the airline to fly the big airplane. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and some people did, some people wanted to go into corporate aviation, business aviation, some people want to go into, you know, air traffic control or, you know, other areas of special interest. I, I have roommates that ended up managing airports for municipalities um, that don't even fly. So mm-hmm. some went to the FAA. Uh, but by and large, the career path, a lot of people went to a regional or a commuter airline in those days, well, 19 feet turboprops, and worked their way up in mm-hmm. those time and, and got on with the major. And that, that, that was kind of my career path at that point. I went to, it was a little TWA uh, commuter at the time, um, TWE out of St. Louis had a little crash pad in, in Forest Park in St. Louis, which is like eight of us on air mattresses, you know, (laughs) it's definitely a, a a ramen noodle existence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, we were so broke, uh, but loving what we did. And then from there, I, I kind of got hired into the U S air family of regional Mm -hmm. operators and, that was a much better employment situation. And, you know, I was young, I was like 23, started out as an airline pilot. And, you know, I, I had hair back then. So, you know, I would yeah. get the, <laughs> I get the son, are you old enough to fly this thing comments every now and then. And, um, Just because you had hair. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah you know, I, know I mean, you mean. It's, a, it's amazing one. You know, now I look like, like Andre Agassi with an, with an eating disorder, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people are going for that look, but, mm. but, um, it, it you know, and, and, and eventually worked my way into a major airline, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not a real pilot until you've been laid off or furloughed. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I spent some time furloughed and, and went to a company called, uh, NetJet, part of Berkshire Hathaway. I'm sure we've all and, heard of uh, that. that. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's a, that's a great, um, it's a great organization and a great company. And, and by, by how, far, how long had that, how long had that been a thing by the time you worked for them? Cause I, I, re- I remember that's, that's a relatively young concept, right? Like this, um, fractional ownership is, is a, is a young concept. So like, but, but NetJets has really been around in, in some form, you know, and, and this is going to give me my A for, for indoctrination classes. By the way, <laughs> airlines and religious cults are the only organizations that provide an indoctrination right from the get-go. But um, <laughs> NetJet Net started out as a company called Executive Jet Aviation. And, and, you know, any of my friends that listen to this, if they do, tell me if I'm wrong. But it, it was actually started by, like, General Lassier, Jimmy Stewart, a lot of World War II era heavy hitter types. Okay. And it goes back to like, I believe it was like 1964. Mm-hmm. And they started flying Lear jets and, and whatever was available at the time. And, and it wasn't until like the nineties when they sold it to a guy named Richard Santulli, who was a mathematician with Goldman Sachs. who was, was very successful with that. And he bought it and he actually came up with the concept, you know, the algorithms, everything for, fractional ownership and optimize it. And, so I think uh, I misunderstood this. I thought NetJet was just your um, uh, on-demand charter flights 
over the internet or something. No, but, uh, maybe is yeah, that JetBlue? I or I'm confusing it with something. I don't know. Um, but no, keep well, there's going. A lot so, of, there's a whole there's a whole industry of charter flights, and and mm-hmm. that just offers some products that kind of address that. But by and large, their core uh, began. It, it was a NetJet by Executive Jet, which and then eventually they changed the name when they were acquired by uh, Berkshire Hathaway in the early 2000s, and then they. And, you know, again, if if somebody gets it more accurate than I do, don't don't crucify me. But <laughs> but that's the gist of the story, and and it's uh, where people can fractionalize or own a share. I think they started with a quarter share of of the the asset. Okay. And it's kind of like people use the phrase timeshare, which it's really not like. But to simplify it, it's like timeshare for private jet. Okay. Uh, there, a lot of people don't know this, but at one point in time, they were probably the largest aviation company in the world. They were rivaling AMR in the mid 2000s in terms of fleet size. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're, they're a global company. And mm-hmm. um, they they do take very good care of their people. And mm-hmm. um, it was it was a pleasure. It was, it was really my privilege to work there. And so, well, that's, all, that's cool, man. I like to hear that. And I know uh, you've already mentioned you have, you, you love what you do. Um, you have a passion for what you do. I kind of do on and off for what I do, <laughs> but, uh, that's good. And I'm glad to hear that you, you liked that employer. Um, I've always felt like employment kind of sucks. Um, and I know that now cause I've only just recently gone into private practice for what I do. Um, private practice is, heads and shoulders above employment but uh we're not here to talk I, about I me so tonight yeah. uh, <laughs> well i mean it, it's uh, enough about me to talk about me um <laughs> it's, uh, I, I agree i agree i i um obviously that's what i do um i have been able to hang a shingle in in this industry as well and mm-hmm. uh you know i've been able to you know there's always downsides to anything or upsides to anything that pros and cons but uh, by and large the freedom i think that it that it allows and and i like to to be creative mm-hmm. uh, and, and have a hand in the creative process uh when you're a number you know i i, I work for us air it's now american for mm-hmm. years and you know camaraderie with the, the other pilots the friendships that i built are, are the biggest things and then obviously the equipment that i got to fly i got to fly big metal right like, oh yeah yeah but uh, <laughs> and i was Fortunate enough to do all that at a very young age, you know, I, I've flown a lot of different types of aircraft. Mm-hmm. I got my goal was to get to a major airline before I was thirty, and I did it. Yeah, cool. And um, that was kind of cool. But you do find yourself, you know, there's something in uh, what they say about your goals and your dreams about never really fully getting them. It's not. It's not about arriving in the port. You want to be on the journey. I found myself at like what I call quarter life crisis when I got there. And here I am flying, you know, I'm doing international trips. I'm, I'm the youngest pilot in the company. And I'm, here I am. This big, it, it was really cool. I'm strapping in on this big jet, right? I've got the mm-hmm. harness on. And you can just feel this thing being pushed off the gate. And it's just absolutely massive compared to anything else I flew. And it was, Oh gosh, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so cool. And, you know, I got all the toys and the gizmos and the airplane and everything else. And at some point, 
that wears off and you realize what now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you made it. What now? The chase is over. Yeah. So this probably leads right, into what, what happened next. You're working yeah, with NetJets. Yeah. And, uh, well, well, yeah, I actually had uh, a buddy of mine and I had, had started, you know, even while I was in it, just, just tinkering with people who had um, private airplanes. They didn't have pilots. We kind of started managing aircraft part-time, mm-hmm. you know, just screwing them, getting other pilots to fly for us. And I was really kind of strongly into the operations end of it, the, the safety operations and then products, customer experience. What what was it that these people should be, you know, they spent a lot of money on this asset. It's not NetJets, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, go back in time, I think NetJets at one point, like, to qualify to be in the program, you had to have a net worth of $14 million, an X amount liquid, and, and that eclipsed a lot of people who oh, for needed sure. private aviation. So we started, you know, I mean, we really did a good job of what we did. And word kind of got around. And, and just like NetJets, I mean, there's wealthy subset communities. You know, I think they started in Columbus, um, us in West Orange County. Uh, here, uh, word gets around. And uh, we started to pick up other clients, you know, whether it be a survey company, develop land development. You know, this is before the housing bubble. So yeah. a lot of developers. Let's uh, and, walk you know, this back just a couple, a few seconds. You said uh, Orange County. For our listeners, mm-hmm. where are you talking about? You're talking about Florida, right? Uh, Florida, yeah. Because there's I'm Orange County Orlando, out on Florida. the West Coast, isn't there? Yep. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. John's down in Florida, by the way. <laughs> they okay. both contain Disney. <laughs> yeah, some, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Keep going. Not at all. Not at all. No, um. It, ironically, there's a Putnam County here too. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's probably Lawrence and Lincoln, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's a little bit of everywhere, everywhere, yeah. right? And, and Orlando's kind of funny because it's it's easy to say there is no there there, right? It's kind of like it's you know we grew up in the era watching the Flintstones, and like it's kind of like Fred and Barney, where there's this Mobius script, yeah, of you know. Down here now, it's, it's Wawa, Strip Mall, Wawa, Citrus Stand back in the day. And it's just this Mobius script <laughs> of, of traffic jam, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, there, it, it is divided up and everybody's got one of those, one of those maps, right? So, but <laughs> yeah. building those relationships and development, um, you know, at the time, you know, Kevin, my, my business partner, is a young guy. He, he was just having fun. For him, it was beer money and and just goof off <laughs> till he could get to an airline. Uh-huh. And I started to see something. I was like, okay, well, what if we got some attorneys? What if we got some medical? Orlando's a very, and especially back then, it's done a good job of really diversifying itself. I don't think people realize how much industry is really here mm-hmm. when they think, you know, the house of the mouse. It's, it's, there's a lot of... Uh, defense contracting here. I mean, this is on the Lockheed Martin. Uh, I would have had no idea. You've got Harris Corps. You've got, well, I mean, the Space Coast is right in our backyard. I mean, true. Um, there's, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, your industry, a lot of medical here. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
Well, where there's people, there has to be. Yeah. Well, and where, <laughs> yeah. there, where there's an aging population. Oh, there then, yeah, that's be, true, right? too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're home to Boca del Vista phase three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like in Seinfeld, you know, a lot of retirees. <laughs> Although that's changing, you know, that, there's a turnover in population here, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's... Um, it's pretty cool to be able to tap into that. And, and we started to build other relationships, you know, mm-hmm. one plane would, would kind of lead to the next relationship and the next relationship. And the next relationship. at some point we we're at 14 airplanes, mm-hmm. you know, just managing. It was kind of like property management. And what, then we, uh, what we, was the name of this company or what? It, um, it's still the same company underpinning. We're right. That, that we're launching out, relaunching out now. It's a trend. Trend Aviation at mm-hmm. the time. And, and I'll tell you how we came up with the name. Uh, we just couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> you know? So I never had a, I never had a love for the name. It was just kind of like, okay, it's one syllable. I do remember the trend, uh, trend logo coming across yeah. the social media at one point. Yeah. 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 And so it, it's, um, aircraft management primarily. Uh, and then we, we pursued a, a charter certificate. Okay. Um, to be able to put some of these assets to work, you know, because you would get people get into an aircraft, they fly it a lot, and then all of a sudden, they're, you know, maybe their tax structure calls for it. Maybe they need, maybe they need to offset some of the cost of revenue. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a kind of a number of reasons, and we we tinkered with concepts. We're still, you know, kind of finding our own what we really want to be, and I'm still an airline pilot at the same time. Yeah, I do want to uh, um, stop. I want to. I do want to stop you for a second here, and because maybe you can help me wrap my head around all of this. I feel like um, so you're talking about these little private jets, right? Like the uh-huh. the Lear jets, the Gulf Streams, you know, the Cessna, whatever they are. I'm sure the list is extensive, but um, these little jets still cost millions of dollars, right? Like. Even even Depending used on the model. Even yeah. used. Yeah, um, even So even how used. does and, uh and, my I guess my question is like how does a company recoup that cost on these little itty bitty jets where like how many passengers are you gonna have on that at any given time? Six, eight, ten, I, mean, I don't know, right? Yeah, anywhere ten or less in some cases. I mean bigger private jets may may do twelve, fourteen seats like on a bit larger Gulfstream or something with longer range capability, but by and large, a light jet, you know, like a the classic Lear jet or a Cessna Citation is uh, light to midsize, or typically nine feet or seven. Yeah, seven so nine so I would in my little frog brain, I'm trying to do the math. Like you got to charge each passenger like a crazy amount of dollars just to offset the, just to offset the operational cost and ownership cost. Of that right? I mean, I don't know. Or am I way off here? I don't know. It depends on how the aircraft amortized, and and then there's also don't forget for, for corporations or individuals, there's depreciation in tax. There's bonus depreciation where you could write 100 percent off of the uh, airplane depending on the year. Okay. In the first year. Okay. So you know it, it, some of this becomes an advantage. Um, so you know we would advise people you know what to get. That was part of our part of our shtick for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know. The idea there was to start building the infrastructure and operations to, to kind of play with some concepts that I had in my head. Because my my whole goal was like I've worked for NetJets, right? And they're they're the best. Like 
but that's opulent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and I saw a tremendous amount of waste there, uh, which was kind of hard to see. You know, you would see everything from a um, standing order for catering. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think this was like a, <laughs> one of the railroad deals where we pick people up and it's like, it was a default. It was like, and I think they've went through and changed and refined a lot of this. This is like 2006, 2007. But it was like, okay, you're, you're Dave and your standing order is you want a chilled seafood platter for every seat on the airplane. <laughs> um, every time. Well, you know, three people show up. We take them from Tennessee to like Maryland yeah. and drop them off. It, it, it's 930 in the morning and every, and, and literally this other pilot and I are sitting there and then we, we did nothing else for the rest of the afternoon. And there's nine sets platter is just piled high with lobster tails and stone crab and shrimp. I mean, what are we supposed to do with this? Oh, this raises another question. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm full of them. I, we're going to go off on some tangents, I guess. You're going to pull mm-hmm. me back on track eventually. But uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm so on these, on these little jets, um, who does all this food prep and the service and stuff? Do you, is there like a flight attendant or does it fall on uh, one of the pilots? We have a midget and, and a Casio. <laughs> stop it, stop it. The piano. I'm sorry, we person. I, it's horrible. I shouldn't even say that. But no, it, it's provided by, there's a there's a whole other industry within the industry, right? There are okay. like catering companies yeah. that, um, that provide these. And it's, you know, there's provisions on the aircraft, cabinetry, tables, et cetera, that it's stored, it's mm-hmm. ready to go. They know they're, they're at that level of service. They know to go up. So the passengers could just take care of it. Self-serve. Yeah, self-service. Okay. Oh, okay. See, I I didn't realize that. I imagined, like, again, in my little frog brain here, I thought, so limited seating. Like, there's no way they Mm -hmm. can have these flight attendants. You know, they're taking your drink orders and all this bullshit. Like, and then I thought, well, I mean, can one of the, can one of the pilots, like, go and do that crap? I mean, it would seem so beneath. I mean, that would seem so beneath them, but I, who knows? I, but it makes sense. This self service thing. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. You that. know, and I, I think it depends on the employment operation, right? I mean, it. it you know, I know. For, on average, no, you're 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 there for safety. You're there to fly in the operation of the aircraft, and mm-hmm. um, it's it, you know, that's not to say that if it's a stand up cabin aircraft that you're not going to go back and maybe mingle and just. Folks, you know, can I get you anything or anything like that? And that's not really the rule, but it's just being, um, it's your domain, right? And, yeah, and yeah. the more, you know, I find there's a psychology to it, the approachability to it gets people to, to be responsive to your safety instructions. You know, if you need, um, to do that and have that bond with them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my opinion, you know, um, so, yeah, those those planes, it's kind of amazing. They're, they're, every little nook and cranny has a compartment, and every little nook and cranny is stocked with um, some kind of some kind of goodie, right? Whether it be it jelly beans, be it tootsie <laughs> rolls, nuts, mm-hmm. snacks. Uh, you know, some clients have an inclination to be healthier. Uh, some have an inclination to be healthier, but not when they're on the airplane. Yeah, where, and where do you put um, all those little fifty um, cc uh, airplane bottles of liquor. <laughs> got a cabinet. You know, got a cabinet. Got a little. Yeah. yeah. No, they're they're there. Mm-hmm. There's a little beverage center, if you if you will. 
up by the door with a kind of a miniature galley and mm-hmm. you know, it's, oh galley yeah like on the uh, yeah so the I guess the aircraft is a ship right almost like in the navy <laughs> kind of I I. I is it like the, the galley and the, and the loo, or is it a laboratory? Like, I can't remember. It's a laboratory. Yeah, there's yeah. like all these nautical terms, too, right? <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. I should be able to, like, hoist a mainsail or, you know. <laughs> I haven't batted the hatch. Ever Ever in my career have I batted the hatch. Uh, that, that would be something awful. Uh, that's, that means something went wrong, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess, right? I mean, you just kind of shut the door. I don't know. Right, right. So, but no, I, I, there are, I guess there are some, you know, we don't, we say left and right. We don't say starboard or anything like that. Port, or, port and starboard. Yeah. yeah. Port and starboard. Nobody's flying around with an eye patch. You know. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that's a little uh, lead in uh, maybe for another question or concern I had. I've always heard, and this is going back to my, um, you know, probably uh, pubescent years <laughs> that uh, pilots have to have twenty twenty vision. Is that true? It needs to be correctable or un, or uh, what, no? Yeah, I, I guess what I so they have to have twenty twenty vision. What I thought w- w- without glasses, I thought the eyeglasses or contact lenses excluded you from being a pilot, or maybe no, or maybe that I, was I in wore, the military wore, or something. Um, in the past. It, yes, in the past, but ADA, even the military has, has lightened that up now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot's changed. I mean, it. it well, it would over, have to. Over time. I mean, it would have to be completely flexible and fluid, right? Or else. Yeah. Or else nothing I mean, changes. You're, you're, yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, well, and, and the. You've got a lot of capable people in the industry that, you know, that would exclude. And, mm-hmm. um, no, I mean, and, and that's actually been for, for quite a while. Um, okay. You know, I mean, we're talking the 70s pilots wore glasses professionally, maybe not in the military, but mm-hmm. that gets a, a little exaggerated at times. Yeah, no, I, I just remember hearing that when I was young. I think yeah. um, <laughs> this is way off topic, but I think I was probably like a lot of kids back then in the 80s to 90s uh, when I saw the original Top Gun. I wanted to be a naval aviator and everyone said, you can't, you wear glasses. <laughs> and I yeah. took that to be I, the I, truth. I, um, did, did it keep you from playing shirtless volleyball though? I've never played shirtless volleyball. So you're saying there's a change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So maybe. I, maybe. I, yeah. I, I hear that. I, I do get that a lot. You know, you get, um, gosh, you know, you see how you're married and you have a, you know, you end up going to like somebody's company dinner and it's somebody else's spouse and you're, you're, you're placed in that awkward situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's like somebody that's a, a bit of a blue heart or whatever, but they're, <laughs> Oh, you're a pilot, right? Oh yeah. yeah. I, I was going to be a pilot. But I didn't know <laughs> If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, you know, I was going to be a pilot. I was never going to be one. I was too big a pussy. I'm telling you, like I even still think, <laughs> you know, now that I can afford it, um, like, yeah, I, I want to go get flight lessons or whatever. I'm like, well, but no, 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 no. Like I could never fly a plane solo. Never. It's not, no, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I would never yeah. make the statement like, oh, I was going to be violent. I was like, no, I'm the one that's like, uh, I need to be, I need, I need to have a blood alcohol level of like 0.2 before I can take off on a commercial <laughs> jet. Like, got to prime that, right? Prime that. I, it's funny. I, I don't, um, there are things you just get used to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it could be bad weather. I could be, I got a story on that. Actually, I took a trip. I, I yeah, and these are things I wanted to ask you about. Um, with, maybe with like in the general aviation thing, you know, nothing having to do with your story, but like, yeah, weather. Uh, go on. I, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this is kind of like, this is really a tangent. I, I was with a um, at now an ex, but at the time, and you know, a couple's trip, and we went to New Orleans, and we're in a plane. It was a light jet, and I'm it's a single pilot deal. Mm-hmm. and everybody kind of chipped in and we all went there was the concert and hung out and stuff but coming back there's a little bit and, and one of the couples lived in like panama city florida and there's a little bit of a tropical disturbance it's not terrible weather you're sounding like a little bit I, tropical yeah, disturbance it, <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm trying to it's raining it's okay. raining yeah. but everybody it's enough that everybody in the back is like we got to make it, you know? And I'm like, guys, it, it, it's fine. And so, you know, we're shooting the approach and, and like, I didn't realize that she was so terrified of flying and she's sitting next to me as mm. I'm flying. Mm. And, you know, we, we get in there and it's a little choppy on the approach, a little rain pelts the airplane. It's orally, you know, exciting, but there's no danger, right? Okay. It's, it's not yeah. rough. And again, you know, what's your standard? If you do this professionally, you see a lot or whatever. So you land, you know, plan, not a big deal. The weather's not even there yet. Mm-hmm. Drop people, get back out. And like, we go get something to eat. And like, I take something with me. I'm like, you know, I've got a Coke or drinking something. And like, she's crying. She's silently oh. crying, thinking we're going to die. And like later, she, she's just tearing into me. She's like, yeah, they're eating a cheeseburger, flying a plane while I'm about to die. <laughs> And yeah, I guess you know, there's um, something in comfort level. So. I don't know if this compares to that scenario, but people have always asked me like how I can eat stuff uh, in the middle of surgery. Like we don't eat in we don't eat in the operating room, but I'll go out and like, grab a bite. With like, an M&M. Yeah, no, like I, but I'll go out and like get lunch and then go back to the OR. Like and it, I, none of this phases me. Like none of it is nausea inducing i guess but mm-hmm. so kind of comparable uh i guess yeah. I don't know. I, 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 see i couldn't do what you mean i i guess it was me I, that, that concept of uh terrifies me you know i i, I don't like needles i'm still I, I have no shame at all admitting that i'm a member of the weaker sex well here's the deal because there's just yeah I'm going to explain to you why I'm going to explain to you why you have issues with medicine. I pre, I'm presuming that's where you, what you're getting at. Um, it's be, it is because you're a pilot. It is because um, you you're used to being the one in control, right? There's nobody else that can right. jump up there and do this for you. And in order for you, and and so like, say you went under anesthesia and I have these same hesitations too. Like 
I know all the ins and outs of anesthesia. Like I know how safe it is. I mean, it's honestly very safe, but I, I'm, I'm always the person in the driver's seat. Uh, so I have these fears of, of, of handing my whole life over to someone else. And I, I think, you know, that, that, so that, that's certainly the case with you. If you're going to go and have some procedure done or go to the doctor. Um, and I think that's probably how some of your passengers and customers are. Like if they're used to being, if they're like this type a controlling type of person, like they're going to freaking hate flying because they have to turn it all mm-hmm. over to you. Right. And that, so I see this all, all day, every day. And I think people are unwilling to admit this, but I say like, Oh, so you're always the driver at home, right? You drive your spouse around, you drive your kids around, you don't let anyone else drive you. They're like, yeah, how'd you know? Like, well, cause you're scared to death of this, uh, for no good reason. You know, it's just going into the unknown and you, you, you can't turn over the control to somebody else. Um, I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. I, I don't see myself that way. I, I, I think yeah, you know, are. for me, yeah, you are. It, it, <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm usually the one that's like, you know, hey, you want to fly? You want to go to right to the back or whatever? <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty good. I don't have to drive. If somebody wants to drive, I can nap. But it's the, I had a, for me, it was just an unpleasant experience with needles. Uh, somebody <laughs> blew out a vein trying to take blood. Oh, and it in both arms. I never had a problem with it before that. And then it was like, I oh have passed God, out. I like I have passed out and fallen out of the chair with blood draws before. Like I'm serious. I've I, close. Um, and I think it's because, well, I, maybe that's a different scenario. So, you know, they, they stick the needle in your arm and they put that little vacuum tube on there. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about, right? And yeah, your, and your, and your, vial and your blood and just goes, your blood just goes squirting in there. I feel like I'm exsanguinating, like I'm bleeding out. And that's when I, I bear down, I grit my teeth, I hold my breath. And the next thing I know, they're cracking the smelling salts on my nose in the floor. It's kind of embarrassing, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, but I think I'm there has to be to some that. parallels with a, an airline pilot. Like you're going to be like, well, fuck no, I'm, I'm always in charge up here in the air. I'm not going to let anyone do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it's funny. There are person personality types, and that's uh, yeah. Gosh, I've flown with some some interesting <laughs> ones. <laughs> Maybe put that put that descriptor, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation. So yeah, sorry to take us on a tangent, you know, off, off timeline. But um, that doesn't matter. That's, uh, I mean, we're going to yeah. just talk as long as you want to. I do eventually hope to get to Quite your. Get your tragedy, tragedy slash happy story as you described it, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever you want to talk about, yeah. Keep going, dude. No, absolutely. That's uh, you know, I, that was kind of where I was, my drive with with the company, and it still is to a degree. Is, is this sort of democratization of the private jet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talk about waste, and you know, talk about you see the things. Of what are the efficiencies you can? What's the right airplane? Because not every not every private jet or airplane is a multi million dollar gas hawk, mm-hmm. and and all, it depends on how you use it as well. Okay, and so there's some there's some there's some innovations in techniques that you can do, and um, I think the industry is really opening up to that. That I, I I'm making a prediction right now that the commuter airline of the future is going to be a business jet. Yeah. Uh, you fast forward in ten years, and, and you're already starting to see some of that happen. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, we want to be in that game and 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 help facilitate that as well. But uh, do do we see a lot of aircraft being retrofitted with um, more fuel efficient jets or or piston driven? Or I guess there's like um, there's jet props, like so the you have propellers, but it's driven mm-hmm. by jets. So you, you know what I'm saying? Like, are there retrofits for uh, efficiency? Does that make sense? I, yeah, I, and it depends. You know, it's funny. The airlines even went through that with, uh, I think you'll notice most every airliner has winglets on it now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and back during the last fuel crisis, you started to see that happen. And, and it, I mean, each winglet's like well over a million bucks. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> you have to, you've got to see how much efficiency do you gain, right? Like how, how high is the pain before you make that switch? Yeah. Uh, is typically the driver in the industry that you don't see a lot of engine swaps. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Partly, partly because of certification issues, liability issues, insurance. You know, you got to remember you're in an industry with product liability concerns, mm-hmm. and so you know, oftentimes you might have an aging aircraft like that. The new model, it just kind of quickly gets becomes obsolescent at that point. And you know you stop yes. seeing support for the yeah. less less efficient less efficient type stuff. And, well, and, there's and not we a lot see of that in, we see that in the anesthesia business too. I mean, we have these anesthesia okay. machines that are hard to explain what an anesthesia machine is, but no, they they get obsolete. They we absolutely lose support for those. I feel like it's every couple of years we have to buy a new fucking machine every wow. couple of years. I don't know. I, it's weird. But, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between between um, aviation and, and healthcare because, I mean, they're both highly regulated, highly cash flow-dependent industries. Well, right? have you have you With, heard the comparison uh, between anesthesia or anesthesiology specifically with the airline industry? I haven't heard that one directly, but the one, one point of pride that I do have is there's a book on neurosurgery that has the cockpit of an airplane on the cover. And <laughs> I like to tout that one, but yeah, uh, well, but here's the deal. Uh, and again, this is kind of off topic for you and I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, um, in the anesthesia business, they talk about the Swiss cheese model. Is that something you guys talk about in aviation? We, we preach that the Volant model, right? The yeah. Well, I didn't, I don't know this thing. other name for it, but we call it the Swiss cheese model. Like, which wow. the basic, basically basically says that there has to be a series of faults that will line up mm-hmm. all these holes in the Swiss cheese and allow something mm-hmm. to pass through, allow something bad to pass through. And thankfully in our business, like it's very hard to align all these holes in the Swiss cheese. Like basically you have to have three plus faults, I think is the idea. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and then, there's also the concept of, um, and I hear this uh, this concept all the time. This comparison is the roughest time in anesthesia is the takeoff and the landing, meaning mm-hmm. meaning the we induce anesthesia or put a person to sleep. That can be rough, and then when we uh, let a patient emerge or wake up, that can be rough. So that is the takeoff time and landing, like and everything in between. It's like you're up there, you're on autopilot cruise control, whatever you call it. Now, I think that's not 
exactly a great comparison because there's a lot of dicey shit that can happen mm-hmm. in the middle of surgery. And there's probably a lot of dicey shit that can happen while your aircraft is up in the air, right? But it's changes, um, it's change of state, right? You're yeah, changing yeah, state. Yeah, you're but, not in equilibrium. Yeah. But I think it is kind of accurate to say, like, m- most of the problems happen uh, at induction of anesthesia or take off with an airplane or emergence from anesthesia or landing of an airplane. Would you agree with that? Take off and landing is your highest risk regime. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's well said. And, and that, that model is borrowed from aviation. It, oh, certainly it, it is. Yeah, further, <laughs> yeah I, I actually taught this. It, it is a, it is a you know, part of my career, point in my career. I actually participated in teaching that kind of curriculum. Um, but we now call it, you know, we used to call it CRM, crew resource management. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's, it's evolved into threat and error management. And, uh, and what you're talking about with a Swiss cheese is, is there, those are barriers, right? And it's error. It's thankfully turned into this, this concept of error trapping, right? You know, it used to be this not kind of perfection driven mindset of you missed the switch. We're going to amputate again <laughs> because right. you missed the switch, right? You need to yeah, know yeah. every, what is wrong with you, son? You don't know how many rivets are in that left wing. And, and so now it's kind of evolved into the, you know, we strive obviously for, for perfection. I think that's inherent in our culture, but we're not going to get hung up on the, I didn't turn on the landing light. I caught it. Now I went back with the checklist and I turned it on because I saw it on the checklist. Um, mm-hmm. That's a, that's a slice of cheese, right? That kept, yeah, that right, error right. was now trapped. It didn't get through there. Mm-hmm. Policies, procedures, all of those are sometimes, and then obviously skill and knowledge. And I think in both industries, you know, are, are that last line of defense mm-hmm. um, for that. So it, 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 you know, and they really play into the human factors on it now. Like what are, what is the, the task saturation of somebody? What's, and, and thankfully somebody finally interjected, like what's the emotional stress on this mm-hmm. person today? What's the, mm-hmm. what is the, um, you know, fatigue factor. And, and those are things that, you know, if, you, if you're cutting on me, man, I don't want to know, I, you know, I, I, I'm really hoping that everything's <laughs> good at home, right? I'm really hoping that everything's good at home because like both of our industries, you know, are, what's the, what's the, what's the divorce rate, right? You know, for, for people who work in, in healthcare, what's the divorce rate for people in aviation? It is. I, I'd submit huge. it's higher than average. It's huge. I'm telling you, like I I made this comment the other day. Um, I feel like everyone I know, um, as far as physicians, and I'm talking about the surgery arena. I don't know about the rest of the hospital. I honestly don't deal with the rest of the hospital. But in the surgery arena, over half of the surgeons are divorced. Over Mm -hmm. half of the anesthesiologists are divorced. Over half of the CRNAs are divorced. And then even when you look at just the uh, the OR staff, from the, the technical staff to the, the RN staff, over half of them are divorced. Like, I can't tell you how many single moms there are out there in, this, in these ORs that I've worked in. It's terrible. Um, and I think that it's like, you know, if you're not with the right person, 
to begin with to deal with the your stresses and your your absolute roller coasters up and down of emotions and you know going from uh, elation to the pits of despair burnout blah 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 whatever you want to call it like i mean you're gonna those people you're gonna separate from them get divorced from them like the i i don't know i feel like i mean that's clearly what happened to me and this is this is uh, uh, again on another tangent but i think the crux of my divorce was my burnout as a physician i mean i, I had a, a bad time uh, at one point uh, but I got remarried to this, uh, much younger, uh, female than me. She's a nurse, so she's in medicine too. And she works in the recovery room. So she works in the, the perioperative arena. And I think we just get each other. We're, we're both so cynical and I hate to admit that. Uh, but that, I think that's just, that's life for us in, in many aspects of medicine, the cynicism. And, um, so you know, hopefully this next one works out forever and ever and ever. And I think it will. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big tangent. And I, but I'm willing to guess, uh, that there's some big time parallels between, uh, medicine and, uh, the aviation industry when it comes to relationships. Right. I mean, you guys, um, uh, you're gone from your spouse, I don't know, days at a time, perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and depends on where you, uh, gosh, guys are flying heavy cargo. You know, there, there are 747 operators that it's really cool on the surface when you hear about that facet of aviation where, you know, they're all over the world. Yeah. But they're waiting, you know, they may be in Hong Kong waiting for <laughs> an airplane that's up long somewhere in Europe to get mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're hauling a load of Ferraris to the Middle East. You know, I mean, it's just just crazy In a plane, stuff. A load of Ferraris for real? I've heard everything from they can do that shit in an airplane. Wow, cattle like wagyu level beef. <laughs> I thought all or, that shit. Kobe. I thought all that stuff uh, was on a boat somewhere. <laughs> You this would, this you has been eye opening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the high, you know, high end cargo to to Amazon boxes, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hear some really cool stories with that, and just but the time away from home, and that that's some, that is the one aspect of my career that I haven't done. I've done, you know, I've flown international, I've flown domestic, transcontinental, uh, Latin America theater of operations, mm-hmm, private mm-hmm. aviation, ran a business in private aviation and charter world. And then flying boxes really hasn't been the one thing that I've done only because I don't, you know, I don't like the time away from home that much. I like time away from home. I like uh, a little bit of autonomy. I always have, but I don't need that much. Now I'm at the point in my life where it's like, Hey, you know, I did one trip to, you know, Vegas and I was there for a few days. Now I'm home and I'm running my business or, or I, yeah. you know, did something, um, that got me out of my normal routine. But, um, you know, now, now I'm kind of at a different set of priorities with it, but it's, it's, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of those kind of stressors and, you know, I'm twice divorced. Um, so I, I, you know, two times I was only good. aware of one. Um, yeah, yeah. Preaching to the choir, man. So yeah, I, but um, yeah, I 
I, uh, which, you know, you keep referring to it. Yeah, I call it, it it's funny. I'm talking about being a kid of the 80s. You know, you keep saying this tragedy of whatever thing. <laughs> I actually have a file on my computer, on my MacBook, that I store all the information related to that. Just for, you know, my pop cult- culture reference is the nothing. It, the nothing. From the never-ending story when we were kids. Yes. You know, I do. Oh, gosh. Now that you the, said that, I do remember that. The nothing the, from the never-ending And what story. was the nothing? The nothing was this all-consuming, devouring thing. Mm, gosh, I haven't thought about that, that for 40 yeah, years, I bet. Personified storm that's just devouring everything in life. And that was the moment, that was the place that I was. And, yeah. um, so I, everything goes into the, the file called The Nothing. And so, but I, I keep beating around the bush. I probably get into that story, but um, you know, I, I, I want to write a book about the experience, and not as a "woe is me" perspective, because I, I think the fact is that it has a happy ending, um, in the sense not in the sense that we do in a Western kind of belief system, where you know, there has to be a happy ending and you're right off in the sunset. <laughs> but a happy ending in that in that you learn to embrace the suffering yeah. that you go through in life, you yeah. know, because that life's, you know, there's a lot of people out here saying this now, and I think it's it's accurate. You know, don't happiness isn't your pursuit, yeah, right? Happiness, happiness is kind of like in a book that I read. You know, it's like a breeze, man. You you get that sweet breeze, you enjoy it, but you can't hold that there, and and you have to realize it will ebb and flow and come and go in your life, but. Mm-hmm. By and large, you're suffering, not this nihilistic, bitter, you know, thrashing yourself like some monk somewhere kind of suffering, but suffering in the sense that, you know, um, you know, you're a wine guy, right? You know, like the grapes, <laughs> certain grapes grow in, in, in harsher conditions, but the, yeah. the, oh, absolutely. the yeah, I know. really, really, really mm-hmm. good wine, you know, it, it, there is sort of this strength thing that there's got to be a purpose to it. It can't mm-hmm. be just for the sake of. And yeah. so you, you assign that purpose in life. And, um, but you know, fast forward for me, you know, I, I, I eventually, you know, went full time into my business from the airlines, I left the airlines because I became a single dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't, we don't really give much in the way of props to single dad out here. And as a daughter, you know, I had a daughter, I was a single dad of a little girl. And she grew up in an airplane hangar, and um, it was it was awesome to so be able to say, let hey, me, um, get here. Let me pause you right there. Uh, your daughter, you said you were divorced two times. Uh, is your daughter from your first mm-hmm. or second wife? First. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, go on then. <laughs> I, just a, wanted, I just wanted yeah, to clear that up. We had a very long, problematic, contentious, Sign your adjective divorce and mm-hmm. custody battle, and mm-hmm. so that that made it even more imperative that I that I be there. And I had majority of the time, and I I just enjoyed that. And so, not being gone on the road for multiple days frequently <clears throat> was uh-huh. uh, just something I had to do. Yeah. And fortunately, it was at a point where it was pulling in, you know, and, and what I wanted to do, and, and uh, bit the bullet, and enjoyed that uh, uh-huh. for a number of years. But um, fast forward to say, like, you know, later in life, I, not that much later in life, but I, I remarry. You know, I meet a, a great girl. She was like a chiropractor. And um, 
I'm running my business. She's running. She's a business owner as well. My daughter and her hit it off. Is this um, while you're still with Trend? You're still that company? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's still managing chartering planes. We're starting to dip our toes into what uh, what I want to do, which is which is democratizing this, this private jet world. Okay. Right? Playing with a few different models and. Um, I'm partners in a number of projects to bring that into fruition. Partners in airplanes. We've got some larger aircraft that we're working on that are projects. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of setting the stage, right? Yeah. One of which, uh, we're going to put a new interior in. Um, I've got a mechanic who's arranged it to do it in Belize. Um, so I've got a project in Texas. We stopped there to check on that project, pick up the mechanic, and we're going to go um, out of the country. Mm-hmm. And this is the point Wait, where... Are we, st- are we starting I, I, into the story now? We're, we're following me down the rabbit hole. Okay. Right? So Listeners, this, this is, is where it's going to get real interesting, I think. Yeah, keep going, John. This is... This is, you ever have like a wake up one day and wish you, for me anyway, this was the experience that you did not do that day. Yeah, you wish you called into work, right? Yeah, you no, wish I think you we've all had in, that day. You, you're, you're the boss, right? And, and mm-hmm. you, your life is going to forever and seriously be altered from this moment forward. Mm from the step that you took forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a, that's a pretty contemplative kind of thing. And, and so I, I set out, you know, we're the co-pilot and I, um, co-pilot's a, a great kid. He was an intern with me from the university and then he stayed on and worked for me. Uh, fantastic guy. He, he was from China. And may, he, um, I, may I interrupt you for just yeah. one second? What does it mean? Um, co-pilot status. What does that mean? Like that, that dude can fly planes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so some aircraft are required to have two crew. Okay. Two crew members, a pilot mm-hmm. and a co-pilot. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a lot of light jets are. And I mean, is their so, experience typically less than the pilot? Typically, typically, yeah. Typically it is the, the lesser experience. Sometimes at the airlines, it's just a seniority. Okay. Bid. Okay. You may you may in in some circumstances have a co-pilot that is more experienced than than the captain. You know, just mm-hmm. like John Wayne and Robert Speck in the High and Mighty, but <laughs> that's a total nerd out moment. Yeah. But yeah. by and large, yes, it, 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 the more experienced, the sage is in the left seat of the cockpit, and the right seat is is the co-pilot. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I just, world. I kind of wanted to clear that up. Like what is the co-pilot there? What is their level of experience? Like yeah, they, they've flown planes a lot. Like, yeah, absolutely. They've absolutely. gone through the whole process, and, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. My tenure at the major airlines anyway, I was a co-pilot. Okay. Because that's a seniority, seniority driven thing. And there wasn't a lot of movement at that point. Okay. Uh, and so now it's like the retirements are, you know, and COVID mm-hmm. kind of accelerated that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're picking up the mechanic. We're going to stop. 
uh, at the border, ensure there's enough fuel on board, check our customs filings, just making sure I've got all my ducks in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a super long range jet, and it's not a super long flight either, but you know, it's unfamiliar territory and we're in another country. I've got an airline ticket booked back um, the next day, and I'm, uh, it's my birthday the next day. My daughter, mm-hmm. you know, I was with her mother um, for that period, but she's fully like planning to come back and we're, we're going to do something. We're Disney pass holders at the time. You know, we always did a lot of that. Go out to dinner, do something fun. And she's, she's stoked for that. So I stop in, uh, in Brownsville, Texas. From Bailey's, you said, right? From what? You said you came from Bailey's? Belize. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going. I was going there. Oh, okay. Yeah, going, okay. leaving. I've not yet left the country. I see. And okay. so this is in our good old United States of America, what is about to happen. America. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. President Camacho, let's go for it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm packing out for takeoff. I think everything's in order. And my co-pilot is, he was a Chinese national. He's now got his green card. He's married to an Air Force captain mm-hmm. you know, who she's she's an attorney in the Air Force. I'm a mechanic, and and I get a call from the tower that says cancel takeoff clearance and taxi to customs for pre departure inspection. Mm. And you know anybody who's a pilot who would be listening to this is going, well, that's weird. And that's exactly what I thought. I was like, well, that's weird. But I'm in Brownsville, Texas. This is mm-hmm. a free, free SpaceX Brownsville, Texas. This is the yeah, border okay. town. We're, you know, problematic border town. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I mean, this is a place where they have a lot of problems. So okay. let's just, um, let's taxi over and comply, you know? And well, what, uh, else, what else can you do, right? Right. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's like not like you can jam the throttles forward and just get the fuck yeah. out of there, right? No, Go for it, man. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's not, that's not going to end well for anybody. And so <laughs> I, um, I attack over and I'm shutting your plane down and like there's eight federal agents that are walking out the door of this customs facility. And I'm like, and, and I'm getting this tap on my shoulder, almost like Jurassic Park, you know, and I see the dinosaurs and the co-pilot just starting. Hmm. Just like this is weird, man. It doesn't look good. It's like you know, ice agent with the battle fatigues and the M16, and then like this, a plain clothes guy, and all these different agencies. And I'm like, well, that's weird, but okay. You probably Maybe never seen anything like that before, right? No, never. And and you know, I'm talking. You know, there's a fifteen thousand hour pilot who's done a, a, a fair amount of, of flying, and you know, I'm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, 43 at the time, something like that. Anyway, it, it, it um, we get out, and it's kind of like license and registration, right? You know, <laughs> kind of like, like the police stop. Oh, my gosh. How, how can we even compare that? <laughs> but I, okay. This guy, well, I mean, in terms of like, hey, we're asking mm-hmm. how many that you got. And um, it, it gets really weird really quick. This battle fatigue. Ice agent, let me see your license, okay. And he looks at me and he's like, "You don't have a license." And I'm like, "Um, y- you got it in your hands." 
uh, let me see what you're saying here. No, you can't have it. So you took your yeah. license. Yeah. Take your, your, fi- your physical license. Physical, the card. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah. this is, this is weird. Uh-huh. And the pilot's like, and it's just like, get all your stuff, go inside. We're going to take you guys inside. I'm like, hey, let me get my phone. You, you can't have that. Did they, they okay. confiscated your phone? That comes later. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. We're separated now. They like break us up and, and leave us sitting. There's, there's a guy watching me and then they're giving, and I'm thinking like, they're giving this kid a hard time. Like, this is bullshit. We've got all these paperwork. They're giving this kid a hard time. What is up with this? And like my mechanic who he was getting fed up because he had worked for Blackwater and done a lot of overseas type stuff. Mm-hmm. And he just was not having it. He was starting to get argumentative with him. And then finally he let up because then he, those two realized they were really focused on me. Mm. And so I start getting interrogated. And, you know, again, I go back to my history. I'd been a union rep for at the airlines for pilots. And, you know, the whole concept is just cooperate, man. Just help everybody out. This guy's got to see something. He's checking his box and we'll let you go and we're going to be on our way. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, it's getting late. We're, we're going to have to get a hotel here and try this tomorrow. <laughs> so, right, right. you know, kind of have to find accommodations. Little did I realize accommodations would make themselves present. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, this goes on to like, well, after nine o'clock at night, we stopped in early after. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like good cop, bad cop. The, they're doing the, now, did you fly the airplane in here? I'm like, well, gentlemen, you, you saw me pack the airplane over here. You, you knew that. Also, you admit it. And I'm like, admit what? And they're like, don't play games with us. We could put you away for 15 years. And I'm like, what? where is this going? And then they're like, you admit to flying without a license. And I go, what are you talking about? No, I don't. I go, I think I need an attorney, guys. And they go, you can't have an attorney. I go, what do you mean I can't have an attorney? This is a constitutional exclusion zone. I still haven't had anybody uh, tell me what that is. They told you? That's what they told you, constitutional yeah. exclusion? Yeah. That sounds weird. You're in the United States. Like the, right. The Patriot Act allows them to do that. Mm, okay. And um, I'm in the United States. I have not left the United States, by the way. I've been in the United States all the time. And so it just gets really, really ugly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that. Like, you know, that feeling, kind of like you're talking about when you're given, when you're, you're giving blood and you feel like you're going to hit the floor, like the blood rushing out of your head. Nose tingling. That sensation starts to make itself ever present. Like Mm -hmm. it's just that that something is not right. And so they, they, good cop guy who, honest to God, looked just like Zach (laughs) Ganapagos. I can't say the last name right. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, it's good news. Good news. We're going to let your co pilot go and your, and your, and your mechanic go. And I'm like, and I'm almost buying into it at this point. I'm like, okay, good news. And he's, (laughs) he's like, um, He's like, but um, just a formality, just a formality. We're going to take you in tonight. Oh. And it's like, you should be selling aluminum siding, buddy. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, you'll be probably let go in the morning. This is just all, this is getting late. We can't process this. So he does. Locks me up for the night. 
puts me in front of a federal judge in the morning. Next day, he's back with a stack of paperwork. This guy's like, he's he's like, I want you to know this is a well-oiled machine in here. This judge runs this like a well-oiled machine. Um, yeah. And, and then I'm like, but you said this is a format. And then he didn't say anything. He walked off. But I'm like, what the heyday? Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, I am charged with a felony of essentially impersonating an airman. It's like knowingly or willingly attempting to serve as an airman without a license authorizing one to do so. Which, by the way, we find out at the end of the story was is not even a real charge. <laughs> they <laughs> and my head is spinning. Everything happens so fast. Next thing you know, I'm chained, shackled. You know, I feel like Hannibal Lecter, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but waist chain, my hands are chained to my waist, my ankles are chained together, and I'm chained to like a whole bunch of my new best MS-13 buddies. Where are you at that point? The Twilight Zone. I'm in a courthouse. Physically, Yeah, I'm in a federal courthouse. Physically in a federal courthouse. I mean, did you go to like to a jail facility or worse? I go to a federal detention center. Oh gosh! And I'm talking about the most terrifying, disorienting kind of moment for me. Anyway, it was like you know you put in the next. You know, by the way, I haven't eaten, so then the next day or two plays out, and it's just like being moved around, no windows, in a van. You know, I feel like I just took candy from a stranger, right? Like I'm in the back of a van. I'm chained up. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm at. I'm exhausted. I'm I'm very uncomfortable. I'm scared shitless of everything and everyone around me. Right? Well, so the adrenaline be, they is beat just you down. Going. Um, yeah, the adrenaline is just going nonstop. And so, you know, they they lock me up, mm-hmm. lock up in a federal prison. I'm like, holy crap! Nobody knows where I'm at. By the way. Right, mm-hmm. my kid doesn't know what happened to me. My wife at the time, um, we've been married like one year. Okay, happy anniversary, right? <laughs> right. And uh, we literally just went out for great anniversary, like right. And yeah. um, and you know, life's good up in this point. We're taking trips. I've got access to airplanes. We've got you know, she's you know, she's enjoying that, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of riding high. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point in my, my career, I think I prioritized the wrong thing. It's kind of a tangent to the story. I, I was focused on getting bigger and all this and succeeding. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I end up here. I'm locked <laughs> up mm-hmm. in federal prison. And it's, it's scary as all get out. I mean, you're going through cavity checks. You're getting the whole shebang, dude. It's, you know, um, I can't imagine. I can't. It was, it was, you know, you're the other interesting thing is they give you 1100 calories a day by law. That's it. You don't sleep a fraction of what you need. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so there's a start. This is a great weight loss plan. If anybody wants to try it. So 1100 calories per day, extreme, like almost to the point of adrenal fatigue. Right. And then, Keep on top of that, like sleep deprivation is, is a technique. So like you are not, you're not able to sleep for more than one hour at a time because they, they come in there and wake you up every hour and check everything out. And 
you're you're never hitting REM sleep. So I mean, you're just fatigued, uh, kind of subdued by that whole thing. And it's uh, it's and the uncertainty is the very worst part about it. So finally, I'm able to get a phone call out. Um, the the co-pilot had got in touch with my wife at the time, and then we start kind of working on getting legal representation and trying to figure out what that was going on. But it was held bond. They're like, no, mm-hmm. you're not getting bond. So I'm in there for 18 days, right? Which, I thought I mean, 18 days. Yeah. I thought this was like a two or three day thing when I had no, talked to you previously. No, because it's a battle. It's a so, battle in our legal system. But, the, I, I but everyone played. else in your plane was let go. Do I understand mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah. So I, I had a kind of a nasty ex-girlfriend who's been very vindictive over time. And <laughs> she, she's been known to kind of fall, call complaints and do these sorts of things. Yeah. And this is kind of an off-color joke, so just pardon this. But I'm, I'm sitting there, and then like, <laughs> I'm terrified to talk to anybody, right? I'm sitting there one day, and like, this guy comes up to his gang member. I mean, he's tattooed neck, face. He's been like, just... Like they let you know who's in charge in there, and even the guards are like, just "Let you know the gang, they, they they have their own form and the gangs are in charge, and you have to play by their rules in there." I'm like, "This this is not gonna this is just not gonna work." So I um uh, I'm talking. This guy comes over to me. I'm like, "What are you in here for, man? What are you what are you, what are you doing?" I go, "I I I'm trying to play it dumb." I said, "Man, I think I I got this this girlfriend who just." I don't know, man. She's maybe caused some trouble. And she's really, really, really vindictive. And she goes, dang, man, you you end up in here? He goes, man, you either screwed her really good or you screwed her really bad. And I'm like, that's probably the most profound thing I've ever heard at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you it's fuck, very off-color. You fucked something up with this girl. Right. <laughs> I am. I am going to apologize to your listeners for that joke, but that's a real story, and uh-huh. um, that that really happened. And I remember thinking, like, my God. But um, more comes to light later. Later, looking into this, that kind of point to that. Mm-hmm. But um, what an ordeal! And so finally, we get a hearing. It took forever to get a hearing to get in front of the same judge, who's just like adamant: we're not letting you out of here. Mm-hmm. Um adamant that you're not going to go home until you face a jury trial and I'm like man what in the world uh, you know and, and from what i understand from legal counsel and everything else there was there was a guy who was released on like murder charges that got out easier than they let me out that day and was well, but john like, let me out with like but john what are you thinking then like you just need to get out and go home to your family right yeah, and, I just you're probably go. not even. The whole time I'm thinking, not even thinking much about your business, your airplanes, right? I mean, no. you, just, you should get the fuck out. I'm of just here, like, right? please, just just let me get home to my family. Yeah, just, exactly. if nothing else. Yeah. I, I'll give anything up. I'm literally going to. I'm just. I'll give anything. Uh huh. Just let me home with my little girl. Let me go home. And I'm terrified because so then I finally get out. It's like a hundred thousand dollar bond, and they release you to home home confinement. And you think like, oh man, I can do that on my head, home confinement. You're a business owner, right? And first of all, hundred thousand dollars. Uh that's a lot. That's a that's yeah, well, more you, than you, most you, of you, all these offenders in Huntington will ever pay for whatever bullshit they're brought in for, right? 
Yeah, you're on the hook for that. You shell out 10%. Well, right. You know? Yeah, it's a fraction, but still. Yeah, but it's still, yeah. It, most, it, people it's in the legal si- most people in the legal system don't have 10000 bucks to throw around. Right. right? <clears throat> so, let alone all the lawyer fees and everything else, and that just snowballed. And so I'm sent home with the whole, you know, the, the Jerry Springer ankle monitor, you know, <laughs> starter kit. And, and you that's had an ankle monitor for real? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had an ankle monitor the rest, the rest of the damn year fighting this out. And the uncertainty, again, uncertainty is such a terrifying thing. And I'm, I'm this is shame, right? Like, so I get back. My daughter didn't know what happened to me. Were you wearing the ankle so monitor my, selling wine at Kroger? No. No, okay, no, 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 I just wondered. No, 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 I'm no, no, sorry. No, no. Let me let me just <laughs> let me just no no not at all. Okay. Um, so this goes on till the end of the year, 29. This end, this saga ends right as COVID begins. Okay. And okay. so this chapter, and so I, you know, we fight it out. I get actually get aircraft owner and pilots association involved, and we're talking a lot of money. And then at the same time, you're a business owner. You have bookings. You have everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. projects you've got everything i've got partners and projects in aircraft you know i've got a lot of money and they got a lot of money their attorneys catch wind of this because the ap newswire publishes little articles mm-hmm. somebody decided to start forwarding that message out about it that even oh. the article and so all of a sudden i'm home from this now by the way they confiscated my ipad my phone my computer and they just took them Cloned they take them, your aircraft the, from you? The aircraft, is, the aircraft is seized. Yeah. Which the, the owner partner in that, that that obviously destroyed that relationship and that became contentious. They fall out now from that, right? Oh, so there's, there's legal fallout, right? So mm-hmm. it's the perfect mm-hmm. storm. So now you've got people who've invested in planes with you who are just like, you know what, man, I'm pulling out. I'm sorry. You're a great guy. I like you, but this is just too much. Pull out. All, you're just hemorrhaging cash now. Well, and the thing is, all like, your, you can't blame them, right? Um, right. You understand. It yeah, still stings. Yeah. It still stings, right? Because it, oh, it, it, it adds it to that reality. But, and every day, something like that happens. And you get served in this process. And, you're, oh. and they tell you, you know, they're like, at any point, we can change our minds and we can come get you and extradite you back to the south of Texas and lock you away. So you're trial. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's terrifying, right? And so it's harder than it seems. My daughter finally gets reunited with me. Mm-hmm. And she knows I fly. She knew I was flying. She, my wife at the time went and picked her up and brought her and we, we thought it best that she not stay the night because the whole monitor thing and I covered it up with a pair of jeans and stuff and I hid that well from her throughout the duration of this but she knew something was wrong and she's telling her she's like is, is daddy is daddy is, is he alive her mother never told her anything Holy we shit. relayed messages to her to say he's fine he's been detained at the border He's got a bit of a legal battle, but, you know, we will be back. Blah, blah, blah. She didn't tell her anything. She knew something went wrong, and I never came home. The kid, I, I sat next to her, and I had to get up to get her a drink of water, and, and, and literally, and she just 
grabs my arm and starts crying, no, she doesn't want me to leave her side. And mm. so that, that hurt, you know, to go, gosh, oh, God, what am I sure. putting her through? You know, what am I putting this kid through, you know, 11, 12 years old. And so that's, this is at the beginning of the saga. And so it is stressful. It was very difficult for her and, you know, her mother, my ex, you know, obviously said, I'm not going to make any exceptions. I'm not going to do anything out of my way for you to spend time with her. And just made it really hard. Um, unfortunately, that was the position that she took. And um, kind of leading to where we are right now with her. But she, um, at the end of the day, I got Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. They have a political action committee involved, and I really owe a lot to that. You can spend tens or even a hundred thousand in, in criminal legal defense mm-hmm. easily, easily. Oh, of course. And I, you're going I've, against the I've federal government. I've are, had some experience in this, um, so I know what you're talking about with legal fees. And the whole game is about, the whole game is their success rate, right? Like yeah. it, it's, it's about if you fight me, we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go after you with everything we have, and we're gonna up the charges and. And we're and it finally got to the point where the attorney I had like we well, got to understand that everybody does a little bit of time somehow or another, and you just compromise with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I didn't do anything. I'm like, I am not guilty. I'm not, you know. I'm talking to him, and and he's like, finally, I link him up with the aircraft owners and policy. I finally get everybody talking. We get the doc proper documentation and case law together, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden. At the eleventh hour, it's like, oh yeah, sorry, we screwed up. Yeah, we literally they literally dismissed the case just well, like that. They, I'm not even there. They admitted they screwed up. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. They admitted that. Yeah, prosecution in the case uh, after the prosecutor told my attorneys, like, yeah, they didn't have any jurisdiction to do that. They, oh Jesus this was, Christ! This was not a proper arrest. This wasn't, you know, sorry, you know, dear citizen. Yeah, whoops. Gotcha. Sorry about that. Sorry for all the turmoil we caused in your life. Right. Mm. So, mm. Um, so, so then what do you do? Right. Like everything's in channel. Well, I, I do want to, I do want to pause you for just a second because I think I have an overarching uh, point here to make with the legal system. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I've encountered this uh, in the medical system too. Like, there's there's two conflicting things at play. I mean, this is, uh, from my perspective and my understanding of everything, and uh, and then we're going to get back on your story. But with the legal system and even the medical system, there's there's this concept of the the right thing to do and the correct thing to do, and they don't always mesh together, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure that you, you probably saw this in your experience. Um, the, 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 these attorneys and prosecutors and, uh, agents and whatever, they said, well, this is the, the, the right thing to do for you. Uh, but then what is, uh, the polar opposite against that is what is the correct thing to do with you? Right. I mean, do you feel like that was that was the argument or the the the, the opposing views with you? 
Because I think, you know, I think that's how I've seen it in my line of work and with other people who've been uh, detained and incarcerated. Like my youngest brother had this issue. Like my, my youngest brother spent three years in jail over something that was an argument between the, the right thing and the correct thing to do with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I guess in the end it was a compromise between rightness and correctness. But I think if, if someone would have looked at it, um, removing the microscope, you know, coming back on their focus they they would have looked like at what is the correct thing. Uh, so is that does that make sense? I think so. Right is yeah, the, I, the legal bullshit, and correct is how what you uh, the other things you take into account. I've, I've had an unfortunate legal education with this, and, and you know, like anything with divorce and custody, and I don't know that that's necessarily applicable in this situation. My my guidance on okay. it is, is, is again in this especially with the dismissal of it is th- that statute doesn't really exist other than any other reason to detain and tie someone up in this system so that they can look at them for other things. Say if a complaint <laughs> was alleged against them, right? So somebody calls mm-hmm. in like drug trafficking or some kind of phony thing. And so, you sure. know, when they freeze your bank accounts, they go through everything and you know, it, it's a nightmare, right? Um, so they fro- they froze your financials. Something. Yeah, so like, oh, I, I ran going. into that issues. I got, um, you know, uh, you're into refunding some other and other things, business things to people. You, it was just a, it was just a total nightmare. Um, so what? What I was told by an attorney, and then like I said, the the OPA political action people both was that they've seen this where it's like they exploit something and uh, because they've, they've given this big show of force, right? And, and in all likelihood, and I've talked to some people that work for the FAA themselves because, again, I, I have representatives that I worked with at the time for my company and they were like, yeah, we somebody's called something in for them to do this. They've, they've, they've vindictively done it and we see this kind of thing. But then it reaches a national level, not a local level, and then they they take action. And when they drag you through that, it is it's I I, I liken it to being near machinery with loose clothing. You, know, you kind of get caught in that machine, and it's oh, just hard to get out. In totally. Yeah, and you're mangled. You are mangled uh, by the time you come out of that. Mm-hmm. And and I can see. What a system, you know, what an eye-opening, you know, there, there's a part of me that says everybody should do one night because you know what you can do and what you can't do. It's kind of people saying going to boot camp or, or maybe something like getting it to that, but it's like, you know what you can do, you know, physically, psychologically, it's the uncertainty, right? That is, is terrifying. What's going to happen to you? And, and I've met other people. My, my, my outlook and, and things were changed drastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how I looked at the border, how I looked at people, how they cross, how they live. You know, the world is, is such a different place to so many different people. 
And I met a guy named Oscar. And I was I was a wreck, man. I was really scared. I didn't know I was ever going to see my kid again. And Oscar worked at a Microsoft call center, and he crossed the border every day legally. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a he wasn't a he wasn't a documented person, but his wife and kids were, mm-hmm. you know, and or or significant other and kids. I should say I don't, I don't really know all those details, but he saw the level of just like disturbance for me and he was dealing with it in his own way and he'd been there longer than me because he didn't have the resources I was very blessed I had the resources to go fight this and he uh, you know he talked to me like like cards and he's like, mm-hmm. Listen, I don't really he didn't really even want people to know he spoke English because English was perfect you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know the guards he, he, you know, he told me a story and he said the cartels the gangs would pick people. He goes, there's a few people in here that we just do our job and we're back and forth. And he goes, the cartel finds you. And I say, you're crossing tonight with us. Be here. And if you don't, they're going to kill your family. I mean, that's he was like, oh, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was terrified of that. And, and that's what he did. He said, they use regular innocent people, um, as fodder. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're savvy enough and phys- have the physicality to run over here. Cause, the border agents are going to get you, right? Like, you know, they got trucks, they got drones, they got everything. Yeah. And they throw the fodder of these other guys out and then they go on about their way. So mm-hmm. they, they can cross and I'm like, what a messed up deal, you know? And it, it's just like, <laughs> he's there, he's missing his kids. Right. You know, right. and he's terrified he's going to see it. He hasn't, he's been in there longer. And, and you know what, dude, he's not going anywhere because mm-hmm. you know what? When is he going to get a hearing date? Look how hard it was for me to get a hearing date. This guy has no attorney, has no money exactly. for it. Exactly. And so I get Gosh. when I got home the first night, I'm home and I'm shaken from this whole thing. This tremendous wave of guilt just comes over me. Ouch. That I'm home. Gosh. That I am in a yeah, you know, it's a it's a hell of an existence lock up in your own home, which is it's gonna sound kind of contradictory, but the guilt that comes across with knowing that I had the resources and here's a person who went out of his way to make sure that, and they had no reason to, right? Just being mm-hmm. a human being to kind of give you the reassurance, that, you know, cause he, he said to me, he's like, we got to keep our morale up because that will spread like a, like an infection here. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be here when that spreads. And it was, mm-hmm. it was pretty profound, man. It was like, he knew that, that you could see sadness, like a sickness come through the room. Right. And come through the cells, and, and it was just like to know at that kind of primal level that you had to keep a focus off of what your fate could be, and uh, that was that was a rough deal, man. But but they did at the end. Ultimately, it ends well for me in the sense that it's you know on the criminal side, on the civil side, they went after my pilot's license uh, because they're sore losers. You know, uh, there was a debate of about course. her medical status, whether it was, you know, being operated commercial or everything else. So they just went in and did an emergency revocation. At that point, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I probably could have prevailed. I just flat ran out of money. Oh, man. Uh, so we're right at COVID now. And there's a mm-hmm. week, the week from hell, the perfect storm, I call it, where we're debating. My wife is, I'm like, I got to fight this. I get, this. I get the letter taking it. And it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. Like, like that's that's me, right? 
of mm-hmm. me. And I had a friend tell me, he's like, you know, let's, let's don't define yourself by that. And that kind of comes in the conversation later. She's getting unhappy now. And now there's no, uh-huh. you know, to her, the good times are over. She's fed up. She's getting, it's getting tense. The tension is palpable in the home, right? And then, so then, you know, the next day, my daughter disappears. And I'm trying to get a hold of her. And her mother calls me. We don't speak, by the way, outside of a parental coordinator. Her mother calls me from my daughter's phone and informs me that she will never be coming home again. And to me, this is the to me this is the saddest part of your story. I mean, oh, it's it's devastating, and I'm I'm just I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, me personally, setting aside your um, professional stuff. Uh, yeah, I yeah, fought yeah, for this little girl, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. we were close, and we've had this relationship. And I try to add, like, Rachel, is this the case? And she, she's not. She's never to this day even said anything about it. Just her mother, which is very peculiar. And so I'm, I'm devastated. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, she's got the perfect time. I can't even take her to court and fight this right now. And then, plus, the world's starting to lock down. And so I'm, I'm frustrated. I hang up. I'm like, how much can one person go through? I'm shaken, by the way. I'm not myself at this point. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm. Well, of course. You could ring yeah. the doorbell, and I, I, I had kind of the Toby. I wouldn't answer the door. Oh. I was just shaken. I was not. I was frequently. I, I lay. You know, when I was home, I laid home with a weighted blanket on, like just to try to manage how I was shaken by it. I felt like. The nightmare was over, but it's like an 80s horror film. And then the teenager sits down in the chair, and then boom, the, the monster pulls him right back into the wall, into the nightmare all over again. I felt like that was going to happen at any moment. And so that's kind of the state I'm in. My daughter disappears. It's I'm like devastating. I, the anxiety that trips off from that. Same night, I'm like, I, I turned to my wife at the time. I said, I don't know what's happening here, but at least we've got each other. And she looks at me and goes, I, I don't know anymore. I, 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 I gotta be honest. I'm filing for divorce. I mean, I felt like the Terminator had come through with the shotgun, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's Gosh, just dude. Boom, mm. boom. And at that point, and, and Oh, by the way, I don't want to be locked down together. You're going to have to find somewhere else to stay during lockdown. I'm not going to stay. We're not going to do this. We lived across the street from her mother, so it's going to make it even more awkward. And so now I just like, at the behest of family, I, I, I just go back to West Virginia. You know, everything's locking down. Mm-hmm. That's at the point where it's really locking down, right? Like flights are canceling, airlines yeah. are shutting down, the world is shutting down. It's like, I, I guess I got to go. And she divorces me. I'm like, I can't make a living anymore. It's, there's nothing to do in the pandemic except for lay around and I'm back in West Virginia. Right. I, I, I had this moment where it's like, it, it's overwhelmingly anxious and sad. You know, I, here I am, I've lost literally everything mm. and I'm, you know, Oh, by the way, now you got, by the way, you got type two <laughs> diabetes too. Well, I remember, I remember you telling me about that. Uh, but yeah, I, and, and so, but I, I, I'm like, I remember you also telling me that you 
corrected that somehow, right? I have, I have, yeah. I, you know, um, I, I, I'm like all thirty pounds. Um, I, I eat pretty keto, eat pretty clean with that. I'm pretty strict about it. I took my took my A one C from ten point four, which was worse than I'd ever thought, Ouch. to uh, to a five point eight. So, um, so five point eight you know, is basically normal. I probably don't have to tell you that. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's you know with medication, of course, but they're permitted under under FAA. I get like a special issuance medical, and, and you know, I mean, I, I I watch a lot of Wilford Brimley clips on uh, on diabetes. That's, that's a joke. But um, <laughs> so I, I I get a job, and I'm I'm like I, I, I'm like I got to do something. I'm gonna be. I'm just do it. I'm depressed. Every day is gray. It's, and you know, I'm, I'm sunny Florida. I'm used to flying, going places, going to events, hosting things. I'm I'm in my mind someone, right? And now, what's going on in the world? A grocery mm-hmm. store or something? Mm-hmm. I have some social interaction. Let me just go in there, and I end up working in a Kroger in my hometown. I'm like, I feel like a complete <laughs> and an abysmal failure. Oh, you know, John. It's like criminal, mm. and that's that's how it felt at the time, you know. And and I learned to embrace that. And finally, I, I just was in a is probably for a good year, pretty pretty damn good funk. And I, I didn't, you know, remember reaching a point where it's like I I don't want to live. I remember oh. laying in bed at night and not wanting to live. I didn't want to die. Mm-hmm. Certainly didn't want to do that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too narcissistic to, to do that. Uh, but I, at, a, at a point where I was like, God, if I could just I, if I could just not wake up in the morning, you know. Oh, and I just that's all. I remember feeling that, and and I remember mm-hmm. feeling just like doused in gasoline and lit on fire. Just the pain from that, the constant just misery of that. Mm-hmm. And it went on for a long time. And, and finally, the one day that it hit, you know, my brother, he could be, which is another story and stuff, could be a little harsh, um, introduces me to someone in his home as, as what well, he's the, you know, he, he works at Kroger and he, you know, sells wine in their department. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And it hit me. It was like, that's not my identity. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to get into a pronoun type debate or anything. It's like, uh, no, that's, that's, I've spent my life yeah, doing we, we know, We know what you mean. We know what you mean. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, this is not saying, oh, this is who I identify as. I, I am, that's my identity. That's who I am. Because in the hardest of times, right, you're going to fall back on this kind of law of primacy thing of who you are, mm-hmm. what your identity is. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to say that that makes you, but there is an element of that. Well, and, yes. and there is a there's an element of fly the plane and manage the crisis and and do those and I'm, and I'm summing it up really quick but I had to dig deep for that mm-hmm. I had to dig really deep to find that every day and that made it I, I had the most profound thing and the thing that helped the best from a friend he said man I don't know what to say um, he goes but and I can't tell you that this is going to get better soon. Mm-hmm. He goes, but I will tell you that, that one day you're going to wake up and it's going to suck less. And there's the truest words ever spoken. One day I woke up 
you know, divorce papers are signed, it's done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it sucked a little less. And the next day sucked a little less than that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because you talk about the end of the world, right? You, you lose your world. And not only are you going back to your hometown, but you're going back to like bizarro world, right? It's COVID. Everything's <laughs> shut down. It's yeah. a really lonely place, right? Yeah. I think we yeah. all can say oh, that. Totally. I remember saying, man, I'd give somebody 20 bucks for a hug. Oh. I, I, I really just human contact, the isolation. <laughs> and you got to remember, I was on lockdown a year before everybody else was on lockdown. Yeah, it sounds like a legal it. system. Mm. You know? Mm. So that isolation is a, is a terrible thing. And, uh, and to kind of dig your way through that head game at the same time. Uh, it's not, a, but, but I dug into it and I, I, you know, managed to start eking out a little flying again, get everything back up, get current again, get ratings and everything reestablished. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was, it was a year and a half, damn near two year struggle of COVID mostly oh, wow. being it. And, you know, the good thing was if you're going to sit a year out, that, that would have been the year to sit, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's the silver lining, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. That not a, lo- and, not a lot of people are traveling. Um, by no, air. but now it's... By air, especially, like, because no. everyone was afraid to go on a plane because you were in this yeah. confined space, right? And yeah. masking, who, who knew what that was about? I, so, oh, my gosh, I... I don't think I realized that your plight was um, that severe, or that, or that it took that long. Uh, this is kind yeah, of, it, this is all eye opening to me. Uh, honestly, I the harder part was I, I came back to, like I said, I came back to to live with a brother and not realizing that he probably really needed me. You know, he was mm. suffering with depression, some pretty severe depression, and to walk into that and, and the nihilism, and he was he could be ugly, and to, to walk into that and go, what what, which now? brother are you talking about? What, what's his name? My my oldest brother, my oldest brother, what's uh, his Charlie. Name? Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, yeah, that was his name. So it it, it um that was a hard situation, but then you know. And he had become, and I, I, I carefully, I, I'm treading on on the descriptor here because I feel like it was kind of a religious cult that he had, he had dabbling on. I don't think really there are some really nice people involved in that, but his obsession with it was unhealthy. And it created mm. sort of this nihilistic viewpoint mm. of the world, right? And so, well, what, you know... Uh, uh, what was he doing? You, I think you told us about all of your brothers uh, that a couple of them were in um, aerospace engineering, right? Uh, yeah, he was an attorney. Oh, he was, oh, he was okay. He was uh, in the the law um, business. Yeah, yeah. So he, he worked for the state quite a bit, but mm-hmm. it, um, it, you know, it. Um, it's kind of funny. I can say this about me and say this about him, me prior to the events, right? And him maybe during 
ironically, during the deep episode of depression, you know, there's, there's the old saying of the faculty of rationality inclined dangerously to pride. Mm. Right? Meaning, you know, we mm-hmm. can uh, we can fall in love with our own creations, right? And then, and then try to make them like the absolute thing. Whether that be the thing that we do to comfort ourselves, like I think he did with his, his obsession, mm-hmm. and maybe me with my company. Maybe that extension of your ego. And that, that was a lesson to learn. But it, it was interesting for me in that time that I, I, I actually fondly remember working at a grocery store. Uh, my periphery um, opened up. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had blinders on when I was there. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm used mm-hmm. to visit, visit, visit. And, and just shitty stuck up. And at the same time, humbled, but not accepting it. You know, like I think I told you, like, you know, I, I, I would see people I knew. And fortunately, the anonymity of the old COVID mask and maybe age <laughs> a little kind of helped. Like I would yeah. see people in a house that I'm like, yeah. I don't want I don't want to say hi because I don't want anybody to see me here. I, I, mm. It's humiliating. And oh, I'm going to tell you, and, like uh, my masking during the COVID pandemic, like I was I was kind of ecstatic about it because I could go talk to patients and just be like. Hey, mm-hmm. David Denning, I'm your anesthesiologist. Let's go. Like, I didn't even have to talk to him. Um, yeah. And I know that sounds terrible, well, right? Uh, and talk to pa- talking to patients was, like, the biggest part of my job, to be honest. But um, going into this COVID thing, I was like, oh, yeah, well, I don't even have to say hi to people. I can there hide, are things I, can I hide miss. behind there this There are mask. things I miss. Yeah. I, I, I gotta be honest. There are things I miss about the pandemic and I, <laughs> I like going into a non-crowded restaurant. Oh yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Well, you know, um, this is actually, yeah. um, this is a tangent that I actually wanted to go off on. Uh, if you will. Sure. I, th- I think, uh, by following you on your social media and, and just talking to you, uh, I think you're you're somewhat of a foodie, right? I am. I, yeah, I, I think yeah. I've always said that. I cook. Yeah, I, I like food. I like wine. Oh, uh, God, everybody likes I food, like, right? But we like yeah. good. We um, like you and I like people like you and I. We like good food, and we like good. Wine. Well, I think there's there's something <laughs> too for me. It, it in the I grew, you know, we. I mean, we. We grew up in a small place, right? I mean, not necessarily oh, yeah. from population oh, yeah. numbers. Culturally, although I can say Huntington had, you know, it had different cultures and populations over the years. But as that town shrunk, it, it culturally was a small place, a cultural a mindset that yes. when we grew up, at least, I think things now, university, town, as that's grown, I can, I can say that's different. But it. You know, where I grew up in West End, I mean, you know, you didn't have certain types of foods. And I think there's something really wonderful about travel and food and being able to relate to people. Um, Definitely. You know, how how people eat, what they eat, what, you know. um, So, yeah, I I, I love food for a number of reasons, Uh, just like I love travel for the same reasons. I think it it changes you. I have to admit, I'm jealous of you. Anytime I see something come off, come up on your social, like I had this this dish at this restaurant, and uh, clearly, 
I'm not familiar with the restaurant that you've been at, but you, you, you put up this picture in her descriptive and I'm thinking like, Oh dear God, like I wish I could have that. I wish someone would plate that in front of me. And <laughs> you know, in my, in my, uh, our options here in Huntington, are very, very, very limited. Um, as far they, they as, are, as, far as food goes, I, and I don't even know, yeah. what is the terminology for that? Uh, gastro, gastronomically? Um, gastronomically challenged yeah, or yeah, gastronomically yeah, limited. Like and, 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 you know, I remember now, we feeling good, that way. We, we have some good food here, but uh, there's nothing like exotic. I mean, I, I think exotic is a relative term, right? And, and I, because I think well, you yes, have to, it's yeah, a business, yeah, yeah, and yeah. people have got to, you got to cater to your clientele, right? And and so I, I think there are people in the food scene there that are local that are trying, like, how I give them props, man. I mean, they're trying, they're, they're kind of community-minded in it, and they want to do something a little different, but still play it safe to their own crowd. And, you know, right. I... Um, I give it to them, you know, and I try to support them where I can. And, and there's some good solid ones. There's, there's other hits and misses, but you know, it's easy to point out the misses when you have a thinner herd, right? A thinner crowd, yeah, you know, yeah, where you, yeah. you come to it, you go to enter any bigger city and you go, Oh, that place like, okay, well, whatever, go next door. There isn't a next door, <laughs> you know, in, in a smaller right. town. Right. So, um, you know, so there's some, you're going to have wins, you're going to have losses with it. But yeah, I do remember when I got there, I was kind of in my sort of bitchy, moany, <laughs> hating my life kind of moment where I still had the blinders on and I couldn't mm-hmm. see the forest for the trees that, um, you know, I was really complaining about, oh, I don't have this. I don't have this. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's closed and you're broke right now anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, so quit, quit fussing. Okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, but I began to see people that you know. Again, back to the whole Texas thing. Back to, back to that prison cell. Someone who didn't have any reason to show you kindness showed you kindness. You know, yeah. that's eye opening, man. That's a pretty that's awesome. pretty powerful yeah. thing. You know, you you you've had more and been given more. You're you're. A, and, and I went, and it's kind of my, my, my character arc here, right? If we're writing a story is, you know, you come from nothing. You're coming from kind of a humble, poor end of town, right? Yeah. You escape. Mm-hmm. And the irony is you come back to that place conceited. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and what a, what a, what a, whoa. And, you know, I had that epiphany. And it was like, God. This is messed up. I shouldn't shouldn't be that way. And so I had to, to, you know, Jordan Peterson, somebody I listened to. I listen to him a bunch too. You know, I mean, he makes this this analogy of of parts of you have to die. Yes. You just have to allow that to die off. And I very much was in that place. I had to allow that to die. And I didn't want to. I was hanging on to a kick and screaming. Mm-hmm. And you have to let those old parts die off to really ever truly be any sort of success or decent person again and and be willing to do that. And that was a painful process for me. Um, it, you know, but in the end, I, I look at the world a lot differently. What I value, I, I met people who 
had nothing or very little who were content and happy in this world or had physical or mental challenges working that job, you know, working in a grocery store. And maybe we're special needs. And I would value the time sharing an adventure and sitting down and talking to them about where I am now just to go see what I've seen. Because again, that's somebody in that small world, but they're inspired. And I had a, I went, when I went back to flying, this kid tells me, and it touched me. He's like, will you send me pictures? I'm like, yeah. And that's why I post reels and things like that on social media mm-hmm. for that reason. So you can see it's this kind of group of guys, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I would spend my time with them. And, um, you know, um, talking to them and I'd still go back and, and I'll talk to them and tell them places I've been. And, and this kid tells me, you know, send me the pictures because you, you're from here. Mm-hmm. You grew up here and you work, you work, you work here. Mm-hmm. So when I see that, I feel like I can do anything. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, that's, Absolutely. that's cooler than running a business. That's cooler than <laughs> doing anything. You know, like, so that's, you know, we can, we can become pretty quickly selfish and narcissistic being online, being social social media, you know, we all, we all can talk at at nauseam about the problems of that, but it's neat to go, all right, I want somebody to see this, that can see themselves doing it, not look at what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's pretty cool because then they ask, I want to go there. What's it like? What's the food like there? What is that? It's kind of like this. And, you know, it's not enough to show the picture. You got to tell the story and Mm -hmm. and immerse yourself with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, time, you know, what do we talk about? You know, time and, and uh, relationships, you know, mm-hmm. back to business, falling apart, back to your life, falling apart, who you are, mm. time and your time, your relationship, yeah. money kind of comes later as a, as a resultant, but time and your relationships, man, you know, those got just annihilated with, with the nothing, right? Yeah. We call it the nothing. The nothing. Um, what? So I, I can't remember, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly when I met you during my timeline. Um, uh, and I did have this timeline where I guess, I guess for lack of a better term, I was forced to resign, uh, from my job at Cabot Huntington hospital. And it was because I was burned out. Um, but I, but I don't think anyone there realized that. If they had realized it, they would have helped me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime anyone hears the term burnout, I think there's a misconception. You know, the, the misconception is they think, "Oh, you're just tired at your, you're tired of working at your job," right? Um, but burnout is, by definition, um, it doesn't mean you're just tired of working there. It means that you 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 feel ineffective. You know, you, like you can't do what you want to do. You can't mm-hmm. practice like you want to do. And I and I don't know if this has any application in the aviation industry. 
I'm trying to tie this in to um, you working at Kroger. Uh, if this will get there, maybe. But no, so I, I, I was totally burned out. I felt like I was ineffective at work. Uh, I had no support from my employer. None of my colleagues wanted to work with me because I was such an asshole in the end. Um, and then I was confronted with this, uh, the option to either resign or get fired. And so what does someone do as a professional? They resign, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you don't want to get fired because then, uh, you have trouble getting the next job. Yes. I resigned that position. It gets career limited, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, in the, I don't, in in the medical profession, most of my listeners won't realize this, but you can't just go somewhere else and work, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's background checks. There's, uh, I mean, you have to submit paperwork like crazy. You have to you have to go back to your medical school, your residency. You have to list all these medical licenses you had, all these references, what blah, blah, blah. So it took me a while to even get to the point where I could interview for the next job. It took several months, several, uh, several weeks, several months. And what I did in the meantime is I did this locum tenens stuff. And locum tenens is this old Latin term, which means placeholder, basically. Uh and what I did was I was a placeholder for uh, the guys at Thomas Memorial Hospital in Charleston that went on vacation. And I got to work there, no questions asked. Um, they paid my mom practice insurance, blah, blah, blah. And I made a lot of money, but, I mean, it, I, it was hard to work there. It was a hard adjustment. I wanted permanent work. Um eventually like i i start i applied for a medical license in ohio medical license in kentucky like i i only had a, a license to work in west virginia and that's another thing people don't realize about physicians like you have to get all these licenses to work mm-hmm. wherever you, whatever state you want to work in and it's kind of arduous uh some states you know you have to have this huge fbi investigation you get fingerprinted. Plus, you have to provide all the paperwork of all your all your employee employment before. But long story short, you know, I, I worked a little bit at this Thomas Memorial Hospital. Then I interviewed with this private practice in Charleston. They decided to hire me, uh, probably because they were desperate. <laughs> but um, I'd like to think they hired me because they thought I was. I thought it was going to be a good partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I've been there for these four plus years, uh, I know that they hired me because I was a good partner. So anyways, I think this, this ties into your line of work. Like it's the head game really. Well, it sounds like it's not, it sounds like it's not super simple for you uh, to undo or to get into something else, right? No, it's not a super simple process. And, you know, know, ever since 9-11, you have pilot records that follow you. Same 
same oh, time. Oh, dear God, thing, since right? 9-11, I, mean, I can't even imagine yeah. what you flyers um, have to go through with that bullshit. But, yeah, go on. But, yeah, so it's, it, you know, you mentioned that. I, I mentioned my brother kind of on with this story. You know, you talk about burnout. Burnout's dude. It's and, and real burnout, not real burnout, right? Like you're talking about, not there. There's something in your soul there that's not. No, so everyone, when everyone around me, uh, the def, their definition of burnout just means that oh, you, you just don't like to work here. Basically, is what it came down to. Mm-hmm. But I, well, it's not. It's something much more. Yeah, dude, it is so seated. much deeper. Um, and I know, I, I don't know what you're going to go into with this. I don't want to like preview, uh, your issue, but burnout means like, so clinical burnout by definition means that you are, you feel 100% ineffective at your job. Like you can't accomplish anything and you have, um, employers and uh, all these other outside forces coming in on you that affect your work that, that limit you from doing what you want to or what you need to do. And, 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 mm-hmm. and then burnout is that you don't have any outlet for it. You know, you're going to, uh, you internalize all this stuff. You become an asshole at work. Like, and, that, and I, this is personal experience. You become an asshole at work. No one can work with you. No one can cooperate with you because you're so standoffish. You're such an asshole. You don't even want to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And you're depressed. And it has an effect on your home life. Like, you can't even spend time with your kids or your spouse. You totally separate yourself from the world because you think that you're this ineffective person, this jackass that can't even do what you're trained to do. Yeah, No, I'm telling you, that's, I can't how, say, that's the sickest a person gets with burnout. It's like you just you feel ineffective. Wow. You can't do anything to fix your life, to fix your profession to fix your schedule, like you, it's, you, you go to work and it feels pointless, Some, literally. Completely ineffectual in, in that setting. I, I can't personally relate to that level. I've been tired. I've been frustrated. I, the, the, the silver lining of where I'm at now was beginning to fly again was like falling in love all over again. Yeah. Right. With, a, with a, just a greater appreciation of what it is that, that I've been just, so lucky to be able to do and the things that I get, the, the sights that I get to see. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the billion mm-hmm. sunrises I've seen. And, the, and I the, love that for you. you know, I love that a person like you can, can go into work and, and love that. And, but, and the thing is, I've, I've gotten over my burnout. I've, I'm, I'm fine now. I don't want people to think that I'm, that I'm still in this issue. Uh, I'm good where I am. But what is it? But I, I'm trying it? to lay the groundwork for anything that, anything else that you want to talk about. <clears throat> so, so part of you know the brother that I went to stay with during this the pandemic, and I'm kind of started reestablishing myself back at home now. 
you know, in Orlando has been home for me in my adult life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going back and forth to West Virginia frequently. So he had struggled. It, you talk about burnout. You, you hit it on the head. He was an attorney. And I didn't realize, you know, that the, the you know, job satisfaction there is not real high, right? Exactly. And, you know, he worked for the state. He had a lot of other issues that, that plagued him. And, you know, you could theorize on it, you could whatever, but reality is he was dealing with clinical depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. suffering. And, you know, there were points where it would become just, he would be, become so nihilistic, oh, so focused that, that life was suffering with his, with his favorite thing. And it was, it was suffering and then you die and then you, like he would get on these kind of bent tragic kind of kind of outlook on it and he could be just verbally harsh he was, he was an extremely articulate person mm-hmm. so he, mm-hmm. he could he could not i mean cut you with words is not not even a i think it dissect you at a molecular level <laughs> with words right and, well, that's, and that's what an and, attorney does right <laughs> right he could yeah. find that insecurity and weakness when he was in that state which was unhealthy but he did detach like you said Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I'm home, and and I, I uh, he committed suicide one day when I was home. In his oh house gosh! Dude. At at the at his workplace, and so one of the hardest things I had to do, I, I learned about it. That his wife and my dad were at the scene of this. Fortunately, my dad wasn't like at the scene as in with the body, but outside of the place. And um, I rushed to to be with him, but the hardest thing in the world is to walk up on your you know eighty one year old father sitting on the tailgate of his pickup truck. You were in Huntington then. I'm, You're. I was in Huntington, and just by chance, I was the only one of my brothers in town. And I, you know, all of them were off on vacations or doing whatever else, mm. and I just happened to be there as fate would would kind of mm. kind of have it, and and just to see your dad and he just, you know, and then, you know, at that age, you know, there's the frailty of, uh, of our bodies. You know, we get some, he's just getting frail, getting up there in years and to see him and then just scoop him up like a baby. Mm. That was mm. impossibly hard to do. And to, um, John, what's your brother's name? They're just going to be there. Uh, it's Charlie. Charlie. Mm. But it, it, um, but to to look at that and to look at what I'd went through and to kind of go, yeah, you're you're the same DNA, right? You know, you're the same. You grew up in the same household. You had very similar childhood experiences, right? You know, we're talking about this, this uh-huh. thing that makes us. Something grand as adult things change, but and you go, man, look what I went through. Yeah, yeah. And that that's not where I ended up, and and seemingly for him. He didn't go through anything nearly what I got there. Now, granted, he was very tormented by by depression and anxiety for a number of years. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I could have theories whether he was over medicated or not. But I'm, I'm not a physician. I can't say that with any certainty. Um, and you you probably thought to yourself you probably thought to yourself that this is this was never never going to be the end point, right? Right, and, and one, it's, uh, hmm. you know, you, when you have a sibling that, that passes away, there's a certain amount of your mortality tied, right, mm-hmm. that you don't want to look at. And he's 56 years old. I'm, I'm 48 now. 
47 mm-hmm. minutes. So there's a, there's a you know, nine years older than me and you go, you just can't conceive of it. And mm-hmm. that kind of led me to this point of like, you know, I, I'm even more determined to be positive, to, to kind of look at people when they go through something and to show that it always gets better. It doesn't always get better the next day. And, and it does suck less. Mm. I, th- so, I, I, I agree with you 100%. There's a lot of suck in life. I mean, mm-hmm. anyone who's been alive, who's been engaged in, in life, they're trying to tell you there's a lot of suck in it. There is. Um, well, that's it. I mean, like, like uh, you, you spend your life going, oh, I wanna, you know, I, I disagree with John Lennon, right? He's quoted as saying, mm-hmm. I want to be happy when I grow up, right? But I, I don't think that that's your end game goal, right? No. I, I, no. If it is, you're going to be, you're going to be let down. A lot of people say you're going to be let down. And it's, yeah. it's a fleeting thing. And certainly enjoy it. And certainly you'll be happy more. Mm-hmm. But you have mm-hmm. to, yeah, life, to, to give him a nod, life is suffering at times, but it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's only a waste if there's no purpose to it. And if you, you wallow in that or you allow that to consume. And the, the problem I had with him, and I think reading you know, Peterson talks about this a lot where, you know, there are people who, who are ill or oftentimes in suicide cases or even worse. Um, they believe that the suffering that's dependent upon life justifies their judgment, justifies the mm-hmm. harshness of, of how they view the world, how they treat others. And it becomes very mean with things. And I think, I think there was an element of that nihilism, that nihilistic um, devaluing of life. And that's a, that's a danger. You know, there's a danger in that. I have, a word, I have a word for it. I have a word yeah. for it. And I've, I've experienced this, um, I, gosh, all frequently through my career. It's called cynicism. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think cynicism, I mean, so the, it's probably like a Latin or Greek word, cynic. Um, but I think what it means nowadays is you, you have a very uh, dark view on society and you, and you look for the worst in others. That's what it means to be a cynic. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, and, that, and, and, no, be- and, and I say that cause that was me. That was me. Uh, I don't know. Seven or eight years ago. I could not I see it- the good in people. All I saw was the bad in people. And it was a miserable existence. I can see a healthy level of cynicism, meaning, but not, I think it crosses into nihilism. That's when you devalue others. Yeah. I I think there's a, there's a, you know, because we come from industries that, that have that dark sense of humor, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, at at the, at the dip your toe in the water, (laughs) right? No one else would get it. Right. <laughs> so there's there's sarcasm, there's cynicism, mm-hmm. there's nihilism, and I think there's just a you know, kind of Dante's circle of hell there that you you can you can get so um, so immersed in it that you don't you don't come back out. And I 
Yeah. That's the danger in that, you know, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> dissension of chaos into the underworld, so to speak, right? If you, you allow yourself to, to be overtaken with it, if you're doing it with a healthy level and you can keep a sense of humor about you. Did your brother, um, did your brother fly? You know, he did get a private pilot's license at one point years and years ago. And, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. mid nineties and, and I flight instructed him a little bit, but he did it just recreationally. Didn't stick with it too long. Okay. Um, okay. You know, in the sense of the same thing, but I mean, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing. You know, I spoke at his, his service, mm. you know, because there were those commonalities, right. And then you, you look at with a, with an age difference, like he had, you know, your older siblings kind of become parents in a way, kind of fill that role, especially with a big family. Absolutely. And, you know, you probably found yourself that way with your younger, youngest siblings. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you know, he taught me how to ride a bike, you know, the basic yeah. kind of stuff yeah. like that, how to tie and how to necktie and how to drive a car. You know, I mean, my, my parents didn't teach how to drive. They did. My older brothers did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's that element that that's the hard part there because you have those bonds that uh, are tied to that. So, but mm. you know, there is, you know, you hear all these explanations from people. People say, ah, oh, well, somebody's going to do that. They're going to do that. Or mm-hmm. they're, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of people who attempt that and we're very glad that they failed. Now, um, however, the other side of the, the, the equation is people getting help have to be willing to make that change and get that help. Absolutely. So that goes, that goes beyond my knowledge. I, I, I hope that people could find identity. He didn't find identity. We would sit and talk. I took him up one of his kind of episodic, depressive kind of, kind of phases or states. I took him up flying in a light airplane, you know, oh. before that. And it, it really snapped him out of it. We sat at dinner and we talked, and you know, he just—he mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he definitely had burnout in the sense that you described it. He never really loved what he did, yeah. And that he—he he doesn't know—he didn't identify with anything. He yeah. didn't, you know. And I think yeah. you know that really has helped me through this is identifying that that is what mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. This is that helped me default to get through it. He didn't identify with being what he was, he hated it. He, um, I didn't realize the suicide rate for attorney. If you, if there's an actual published statistic on the suicide rate I guess rate I wouldn't, attorney. I guess I would not guess that either. I would have guessed yeah. the attorneys are very, very happy in their job. Like, and, the, and, and it's, it's this is probably me. Uh, this is probably me being a cynic, right? Uh, yeah. I assume that attorneys are happy what they're doing because they can rip off their fucking clients. And well, I, it depends on again, I, again, that's a that's a wide field, right? I mean, that's like saying and I hope, a cargo pilot versus a different or what? Whether you're a dentist, yeah, is an MD or, or you know, well, or your family practice, whether you're a surgeon, whether you're, yeah. there's a big there's a there's a galactic divide between a thoracic surgeon and <laughs> an optrician. An yeah, well, right? and, but you're and, still I, in. and I don't even say this from like the physician medical malpractice uh, 
stance because knock mm-hmm. on knock on wood um i have not ever been drawn into a malpractice case i'm just speaking from my um general experience with attorneys and i and i just i i pray that you don't take offense to this but like no, uh, no. I, I listen. I've had personal I've had, injury. I, I've, uh, had, I've had bad. I've had bad. Client. I've had bad interactions yeah. with attorneys uh, outside yeah, I, outside I, of the medical arena. You know, and through divorce and uh, child support and taxation I, stuff like that. Like I, I just, it, yeah, I just, I just and, and, like and, the, the legal aspect of stuff. Yeah, as I as have I, and I, I think I can. You know, I guess just knowing somebody, you you can you can kind of bifurcate um, what type. You know, he was an attorney for the, the state, which Department mm-hmm. of Highways. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're dealing with with eminent domain kind of kind of things. You know, mm-hmm. not not somebody's child custody. And and, and you know, no. admittedly to him, he never never wanted to work in family because it was so ugly. Personal injury in families, he, he was just kind of, he oh, never worked in that. Yeah, like who, because it was wants just to go so into that? Ugly. I feel like you have to be a sick person to want to go into those fields. But then again, there's, I, I would think, there's probably money yeah. in it, right? Is why people do Well, it. yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the motivation, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, if that's your motivation, I don't know, that's a whole nother, other yeah. debate. But, uh, but it, it's it, it, not to say that there's a happy ending or a positive outcome than that. I mean, we're not even a year from that event. Mm. And um, and next month will be, uh, which will be kind of a difficult acknowledgement for my family. But it is a, um, defiantly so, I, yeah. I think for me, is the sense with it uh, that, you have to remain positive. You have to be able to dig deep and, and find whatever it is that's going to pull you through. You know, some things are circumstantial, obviously. Yeah. Mine were circumstantial type things, not a clinical um, type situation. And, and it, it certainly was a cataclysm, right? Yeah. Um, I, I know the feelings that I went through uh, during that were just overwhelming and not wondering how it was going to to play out and, and not only that but if it was going to kill you you know it's like i i can't physically mentally yeah no, handle dude, anymore you know i can't i cannot put myself in your shoes i haven't been here um but, but you I've, know I've, here's lost, the thing. I've lost a sibling in a motor vehicle, motor vehicle accident mm. um mm. but i haven't lost a sibling um, to suicide or self harm, so I can't. I can't put myself in your shoes. I know it is like it, to lose a sibling. It sucks, um, but I know your your situation is different. It's sad. It's awful. It there is kind of um. It's an odd. Uh, kind of look too like you know we did the service which was i give my sister in law props it you know we're not going to not say and hush hush because a lot of those types of services are just sweep it under the rug keep quiet nobody shows up nobody talks about anything yeah, yeah. it's a pretty good crowd mm. 
a pretty good crowd turnout and acknowledged it, it you know, lost the battle with depression is kind of the contemporaneous way of, of putting it. Um, and just, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna shame it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a funny thing that happened at it, and it was morbidly funny in the <laughs> sense that, you know, we talk about the dark scene. He, he would share the sense of humor you and I talked about. It. And I think that's where a lot of mine came from with him. And had kind of the old fashioned, you know, viewing and then the caskets mm-hmm. open and and he he drank Diet Coke like a mother. I mean, he just <laughs> guzzled Diet Coke. You know, that like you, you made the association with him with and I I drank a fair amount of it too, but he, he really inhaled the stuff. So I mean yeah, mm-hmm. my sister in law decided to lay a bottle of Diet Coke in the casket with him. Oh. And just a kind of a humorous to try mm-hmm. to keep it light, to try to be yeah. and you know, I'm there with her and this this funeral director guy is trying his best to figure out where to put it. And, mm-hmm. and he he picks his arm up, which is kind of forward across his chest to try to put mm-hmm. it in there, and it's like it's stiff and it just flops back down and grabs the bottle. Oh, John. and I just I I lost it. I lost it just laughing because I'm like I feel so bad for laughing. But if he were here, if he saw this, he would be in tears. Just of course he would. Of course he would. At yeah. this, at this, um, this kind of the hilarity mm-hmm. of the whole thing and the irony of the whole thing. Mm. But, you know, so it, you know, every little <laughs> there's humor in everything. Uh, yes, kind of the, the there is. That. But there is if you look but, hard you enough. Know, yeah. You know, it, it, uh, it is one of those things we'll kind of acknowledge it. it. It is something I look at maybe even with my company kind of doing something and kind of awareness of prevention and maybe getting a few people tied into and sponsoring with that and maybe mm-hmm. flying some people somewhere as, as part of that. Um, you know, that's something that, that, you know, another day maybe I'll have that a little more solidly formed. But, uh, <laughs> well, well, here's the deal. So uh, I think... Um, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I told you you could talk as long as you wanted, but I think <laughs> I think I'm going to wrap it up. We're at the two and a half. I hit hour. the limit. Well, we're at the two and yeah. a half, two and a half hour mark. Um, oh, what man. I did, what I did want you to talk about um, in the end here was um, where are you right now? What What are you doing today? Right now, I'm I'm relaunching uh, Trend Aviation, rebranded it as Evolution Airways. The company had to evolve. Yeah, so we are, again, with the same mission, we're we're now focused on uh, light jets and being able to offer by the seat at a comparable price to, say, like a Delta ticket to be able to fly between uh, between cities. So basically being at a regional-type level. Uh, And we've, we've got a city list that's, that's growing and uh, some relationships with municipalities. So that, where, that where are you now. based at? Orlando, Florida. Okay. Let me, uh, this is going to be a silly question probably. Um, so say me, uh, an affluent customer, potential customer. I'm a, I'm based in Huntington. What if I called you up down there and said, John, I want you to fly me out to Vegas. Could you do that? Yeah, we could do that. 
We can we can definitely do that. We're it's not our core focus. We do. Uh, <laughs> what kind of plane am I? What demand. kind of plane am I going to find? And uh, yeah, so we fly the Cessna Citation. Yeah, Cessna Citation okay. business jet. Now that's not a coast to coast. That requires a fuel stop to the west coast. Um, that's not uncommon in the in the light jet. Yeah. World so here. well, let's say uh, so you flew. So I said, hey, I want your ass to come and pick me up in Huntington. You're going to fly from Orlando to Huntington. Uh, presumably, you can do that nonstop, right? Yeah. You yeah. and you're gonna you're gonna top off at uh, Huntington Tri-State. Do you, do we have to stop for fuel on the way out to Vegas from Huntington? You would. You would have to stop probably. You know, Texas or the Midwest somewhere. Oh my God, dude! I, I'm fl- I'm flying yeah. Allegiant then. I'm flying Allegiant. I can't, I can't be stopping for some damn fuel. No, but no, yeah, uh, all, so kidding, a, all kidding aside, all kidding aside, like what kind of, uh, what kind of benefits am I going to get in your little jet? You know, with the, so, with the fuel stop. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's the first, right? It's really, you know, the way we identify it is what luxury is in, in, in this day and age. Luxury. is process. And okay. time, right? I mean, you think about think about an Uber, think about a taxi cab. Yeah, so these and, little I jet mean, things, like you don't you don't have to show up three hours early to the airport, right? You can show up fifteen minutes you prior. You fucking to walk onto the plane. <laughs> you walk right on. Yeah, you yeah, go in a private no, terminal. Dude. And dude, there's you know? val- there's value in that. There's huge value in that. I'm so there's sick. There's a ton of value in that. I'm so sick of rolling into that. Oh, you should try state. They always tell you two hours in advance, but you know you don't even need two hours because that plane, that place only has like two planes coming into it at any given time. But still, and it's um, a simple, that's a simple <laughs> one, right? You're not going in and out of O'Hare. You're not going to like Orlando. Right, right. There's actually there's actually a homeless problem in the main terminal outside of security. No joke. And it's no, bad, but it's, uh, it's out it, of Huntington it, anymore. It's that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's that crowded. I mean it, yeah. it is. It's a you you. There are more people in line at the ticket counter than than a week's <laughs> worth at, at Huntington Tri-State. No, uh, in Huntington, I think for uh, God, probably ten years or more, all I've ever done is that Allegiant flight because they fly straight to mm-hmm. uh, Orlando. Now they don't fly into the the main Orlando. They like. Yeah. And, and I Stanford. don't even I don't even know the terminology, but they fly into some secondary airport down there. But no, no, you drive forty five minutes or an hour, you get to Disney, uh, and then the other destination from Huntington is um, we fly down to uh, the the Pi P I E airport. What is that? Yeah, Tampa St. Pete, because my old man's got his vacation home down there, and we all go down there any given time during the year and uh and like say you don't even check any baggage it's 49 dollars each way so 100 dollars round trip flight i love it um but you but you still have to deal with the bullshit um i'm and my listeners could probably relate to this i fucking hate boarding an airplane and depart deboarding an airplane right Cause you have all these jagoffs on there who they're just going to do whatever they want. Right. They're uh, nobody gives a shit about 
oh, hey, we're boarding the uh, rows uh, 20 to 30 or or 10 everybody to 20. Just no, everyone yeah. fucking just jumps on the plane. And then when they de- yeah. de- when they debark the plane, like there, there's literally no order getting out A of brawl. there. Everyone just jumps out of their seat, gets their shit out of the overhead thing. They're, they're slapping you in the face with all this stuff. Uh you know, like depending on your your height, yeah. your stature, like hate, people's balls are in your face. Like, yeah. I, no, it's awful. Um, I, I will say this: go to Canada. I, <laughs> I, I have a client that I, I no joke, no joke. Okay, I, okay. Can they, I have this new thing for Canada and Canadians. They're the nicest people on the planet. Well, that's I, like I, the cliche with them, right? They're always yeah. Saying, I fly. Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> Yeah, Air Canada to to Halifax, Nova Scotia, or to to Toronto frequently, and the okay. order in which people de- disembark the airplane is unreal. It's like I'm used to the like the, the Springer U.S. American bar brawl. Yeah, when yeah. people are just <laughs> running for it, it's like it's insane. It's just like you'll have like a lady with three kids when the seatbelt sign comes off and she's in the back and she runs up the aisle to the front. Like, Oh hell yes. Yeah. You know, a game show contestant, Monty Hall called her up there and, and, and then <laughs> you got, but in Canada, they all just stop. I remember just waiting because usually I will wait it out. You know, and all these people were looking, looking at me, waiting me for me to get up. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I instantly looked up and gave him the instant story you know, <laughs> and, uh, and proceeded to the nearest Tim Hortons. And, yeah. and they, uh, but it, it, it's like that every, and it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't one flight. It's like that consistently. And it's a plane load of Canadians and, a, and going to Canada or coming from, and it's like polite and decency. And I'm like, this is so refreshing. If it wasn't so cold and so taxed, yeah, I moved oh here. Gosh. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, gosh, it's just uh, just very. There's a politeness that that thank God exists there. I also wanted to ask you this. I I think I only have two like uh, very concrete questions. Uh and, and so this is one. Um, do you have a favorite aircraft to fly? Oh gosh! I mean, that's a you know going back to my commuter days, flying was just gonna. This is gonna sound like the, the out of Boeing and Airbus equipment, and you know, you name it, um, business jets of all different kinds. Believe it or not, that they used to fly them into Huntington at U.S. Air Express is a big fifty seat turboprop, the Dash Eight, and I just. Love that airplane. I know. I've Love been, it. I know. I've I been was, on that before. The Dash Eight. Because yeah. I've seen the little pamphlets in the seat, and you're thinking yeah. like, oh, "This piece of shit's going to fall apart on us when we take off." Knew that thing's but, a tank. <laughs> it's, it's a tank. The Dash Eight. Huh? But, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, again, they fell out of favor because you know everybody wants regional jets, and now those are falling out of favor. But it. it it was just such a solid, you were like a baby in its mother's arm. I guess like, that airplane. And it maybe this reliable. Is a, yeah. Reliable. Yeah, just, just a dependable. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe this is like a branch off of this question. I, I, I know I told you, I just had two solid questions, but like, um, Oh, where was I going with this? 
what's like the biggest plane you've flown? Have you been in, have you done one of those like 787s or whatever they are? Not the, 80, 67. Boeing 67. 767. Not, huh? Yeah, not a. Is that one of those double decker planes? No, no, no. It is a wide body of twin aisle, but not a, um, not a, um, a, you know, jumbo jet by any stretch of the imagination. But I've, I've flown Airbus, Airbus 320, <laughs> 321, 737. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you ever been anything like experimental or? Yeah, I've been in some experimental. I've been in some aerobatic airplanes. Yeah. Uh, uh, pits. We'll buy planes, flew aerobatics in that, and got some instruction in that flying mm-hmm. aerobatics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I worked on a project for a defense contractor, which rendered the airplane I was flying experimental. It had a lot of special, <laughs> unique, cool equipment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was something I got to do with my company, and it was mm-hmm. it was. Can't not supposed to say a lot about it, but that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool flying. <laughs> Classified um, stuff, um, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we go that far, but it's NDA <laughs> level stuff because it's, it's civilian contractors, I think. But and then that uh, was really cool. This question, this next question, this, I, I'm sorry, this is kind of rapid fire because I'm just not thinking of it. Um, but this was one that was at the foremost, uh, the forefront of my brain. Okay, um, so some of these flights can be very lengthy, right? Like, what, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the longest flight you've been on that you've piloted? Well, you know, you're, you're talking. As far as hours. Seven, uh, eight, hours seven, eight hours. I'm not talking about, like, yeah. nautical miles or anything. Like, hour, hours behind, yeah. behind the, the, uh, yeah. the rudders or joystick or whatever you call it. Eight, eight, nine hours. Okay. You know? So here's, um, here's my question. What the fuck does a pilot do up there for eight or nine hours? I mean, like, you have to get... Eat. So, <laughs> eat. so you're, up, um, you're up above the clouds. I mean, you're, you don't see anything cool, right? You're above yeah. You're above the weather, I, I assume. Like, what do you do up there? You listen to podcasts or listen to music or watch Netflix? Like... Or are you literally yeah, sure. paying attention to all the the flight instruments and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I I think it depends on who you're flying with, right? What kind of crew you have? Just like it makes okay. all the difference in your work day. Sometimes you're just having good conversation while yeah. you're flying along. Yeah, well, I mean, um, certainly you know, that certainly that helps. That's that's worthwhile. You know, you that's that's certainly good for a few hours, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the international scene, that that works with giving. Um, you know, people take breaks. You know, you rotate out crew on that. I bid, I used to bid um, what's called IR, IRO, International Relief Officer, where you would give everyone their break and everybody rotated seats out. What was the break and, mean? Like um, they're going somewhere to sleep? or Yeah, they're yeah. going to go back and sleep for a couple hours okay. because, you know, you are, you're operating in a capacity that's beyond – a legal rest, you know, legal duty period day or flight hour period day. So there has to be a rest in there okay. to extend yeah. it out. It's called an aug- augmented crew. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, those, those were interesting. You know, if it's out over water, you're, uh, 
you're giving physician reports. Yeah. You know, where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you are, um, and a lot of times, you know, there's meals in the back, meal service. You're, you're eating your food. And, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the official answer. There, there, there might have right. been a, a USA Today in, the, in there somewhere. <laughs> there might have been a Maxim magazine. Yeah. You know, back in the yeah. day, there, you know, now the crews have access to the Wi-Fi as well. So, uh, so know. that kind of leads into so I've, I, I have two more like concrete uh, actual questions, and this actually leads in to one that I had is, um, can you use your cell phone on the plane? Like, and and by by that I mean like, can you actually make a call to someone? With your cell phone while you're on a flight, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing I mean, no, because you're going to pass between the cellular towers or networks. That's like, the real like reason behind it, right? Yeah, you're not getting a lot of interference or anything in the cockpit. You're, you're just the phone's just not working. You're not getting tower signal. Yeah, um, they're not. Yeah, it's not going to get well, then beyond I th- maybe a thousand or so feet. And I think you just like subliminally ta- uh, touched on my next question. <laughs> Does it really fuck up the flight if you don't put your phone in you airplane know, mode? <laughs> only one back when the BlackBerry was was really kind of popular. Mm-hmm. And flying business jets, you'd notice this when people would turn on their Blackberries. You when it would provision, right? You would get this. You could tell that they had because in your headphones you would get this interference, like this ticking. Oh, really? Kind okay. of interference in in your headset. So okay. to say that there's no, there's nothing. Eh, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, but you know, the, the new five G thing's a big deal. I don't know. Um, I always thought that was a bullshit thing from the airlines, but it sounds like maybe it's not a hundred percent bullshit. I think bullshit. some of it, it's not a, it's not meant from them really. It's not the initiating from the original, you know, cell phone usage. It's an FCC thing. And they, in my mm-hmm. understanding, and I could be wrong. And, you know, it's about as credible as a wives tale was that because they couldn't nail down which set of towers and networks that you were connected to the FCC. Mm-hmm. But the, the on it. But I guess I, maybe my question is like, um, probably, and this is conjecture, but I, I bet this is truth. Probably not every passenger on there switches their cell phone off. Somebody There's for, probably a pretty no, good chance of no, that. So, uh, no, <laughs> and listen, and and it may not be anything malignant. Like I, I'm sure there's a certain number of them that just fucking forget i i will uh, tell then, you I'm and, then there's, that and there's there's another percentage that says like fuck it i can do whatever i want right <laughs> um yeah yeah I mean, the, there, planes, the planes that. aren't the planes aren't flying in the ocean as a result no <laughs> yeah I, I think that was the real question i wanted to ask like i what is absolute safety or non-safety of um of using your device up there. And then I guess like as they, as they roll out these, uh, Wi-Fi plans on the plane, like obviously there's going to be some kind of, um, 
electronic noise generated from that, right? Um, I think of it's you know, and I, how is it? How is that? Let's be. I'm not. A, I'm not an expert there. Well, and I and I, I hate to paint you in the corner, but the, the my thing is like, so how is if you're going to use Wi-Fi on the plane, like how is that less benign than just have your phone on the whole time? Right. I, that I couldn't, I don't know. Yeah. That, that <laughs> I couldn't tell that. that, that that's one for the engineers. That's more on the flight yeah. attendants, right? Cause they're going to come back there and tell you like, I oh, turned that shit off. We told you like the pot. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily that the pilots care. Um, it's just a, a policy thing. And I swear to God, my phone has been dinging here. I forgot to turn off the notifications. And this is going to be hilarious. This is more for my listeners than for you, but you'll probably find this funny too. Yeah. So the, uh, I've had six notices in the last 12 minutes that um, my robotic uh, cat litter machine uh, like the cats fucking around with it somehow. <laughs> That's what all these dings have been, and they're going to come through on the recording. I cannot eliminate them. <laughs> I usually i i should have uh, i should have remembered to disable the notifications, but no. Oh, and there's another one. I'm, did you hear that come through? No, I haven't. I haven't heard a single one. It, it's kind of funny though. You were talking about you know the phone messing with the. Uh... <laughs> The flight. However, the, the cat seems to hijack the podcast, right? So. <laughs> no, I think it's going to get recorded because it's come through my headphones. Uh, these uh, now six times uh, that the cat litter device has been interrupted by the cat, and I know it's the youngest kitten we have, uh, who's a year old now, but he's uh, he's still like totally a kitten, and he's a fucking giant. But he will not let this robotic thing spin around and empty it. Like he has to stick his face in it, and it stops it every time he sticks his face in it. It's hilarious. You have the, you've got the the, the equivalent of a Japanese toilet for your cat. That's what <laughs> yeah. you're telling me. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Well, what else can we talk about here? Um, I know I've had you on the phone forever. Um. No, not a, not a problem. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's, uh, Oh, listen, uh, here's another, definitely I, crazy. I, I, I thought of another question <laughs> and this goes back to, uh, I think I might've said something to you one time. Like, um, I'd love to go flying with you. I think I said that just knee jerk, which is true. I would cool. love to go flying with you or, you know, someone, uh, who could explain all this shit to me. And you said something like, oh, yeah, we'll go up any time. We can go up in this little single engine prop thing. And I thought, well, no, I'm too fucking fat. Like, I mean, the plane wouldn't be able to take off with me. And plus, like, there's there's no way I'm going to get buckled in in the front of one of them, right? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be an issue for you. I, I, you know. Is it is claustrophobia an issue for you? No, I don't, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't think claustrophobia is an issue with me. Um, and then I, this also like draws me into this question, and I think you you <clears throat> you had commented on it before about the Marshall's program, um, Marshall University's uh, flight school, which is based mm-hmm. out of Charleston, right? Yeah, uh, they don't they don't do anything at Huntington Tri State. Not that I, I believe. 
I believe they have a maintenance program uh, that's based out of Huntington. And I'm well, sure that they – Well, here's I, the thing, I, you know, like I, uh, Marshall University being in Huntington, mm-hmm. they they need to be involved with Huntington Tri-State, right? I mean, that's how I look at it. But anyways, I know that uh, – so I've seen it all over social media. And actually, one of the nurses I work with, her son is in that program. And I've seen him in his pilot's outfit and stuff on social media, so I know, like, it's a real thing. But um, all the only pictures of any aircraft I've seen there is these little, little, teeny, tiny. Uh, it's almost like they're these Red Bull uh, aerobatics planes or something. Well, yeah, that's what you, that's what you train in. You know, you start really? in a, in okay. A, Trainer, now, you know the interesting thing is Marshall's picked out the uh, the Cirrus. They have the SR twenty. They make an SR twenty two, but they're using the SR twenty for primary training, which is a pretty high performance airplane for what it is. And yeah, so um, see, I, I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, um, so it's, it's it's definitely state of the art. Um, uh-huh. But definitely, and I'm sure you know they're they're using it for multifaceted through through their program. But I, I don't see Charleston as necessarily a detractor in that. You know, I there I'm sure there's politics involved and airports and land being available and who knows what behind the scenes and where's the location places. I know from a pilot perspective, from the curriculum and training perspective, uh, Charleston has a lot of advantages uh, for the pilot. Yeah, you know, for the young pilots. So, um, you know, I don't see that as necessarily a detractor. And it doesn't mean that they're not going to come to Huntington to shoot approaches and use the facilities as well. Uh-huh. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got to, um, having that environment for the training is good. I do know, you know, I mean, it's winter time and weather. You know, I've talked to a couple of the kids going through the program and it, you know, where I'm used to, training in Florida where it's a sunny day and you get a lot of opportunities to train like all the time. Yeah. They run into a lot of weather delays because I mean, like I think I read somewhere that Huntington Charlotte, like West Virginia has less sunny days. <laughs> it's pretty less awful, sunlight <laughs> than that less than, than the Pacific Northwest, less than Seattle. No, uh, so, absolutely. And I heard this years and years and years ago, people always, saying that Seattle has the most rain in the country. It no, it, 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 no, Huntington yeah. has more rain than they do. Yeah. Uh, it, there's, <laughs> it, it's not even just the, it's the, the cloud cover, the gray, you know, yeah. I think is, uh, you know, kind of an issue. There. But I know that's an issue for the flight training, <laughs> not that that's a distractor. I mean, yeah. University of North Dakota obviously has theirs, and, you know, University of Illinois and uh, OS, you know, OSU's got a big program, Michigan State. Mm-hmm. They all have to deal with that weather, and it's not going to be a, a showstopper. And I, so. and I did just, I just now thought of this question. So I know um, through your social media and from talking to you some, uh, you're back in the three hundred four pretty often, or the six eight one, <laughs> three or four slash six eight one. We have two area codes now. Oh um, wow, that's a that's a new one. Okay, you didn't know this. I don't think I knew that. No, that shows you how, uh, how hip I am. Uh, six eight one is our other area code now. I don't know where, like, wow. if where it is uh, geographically or regionally. Yeah. 
Uh, but anyhow, so I, I realize you're back in West Virginia, somewhat frequently. Yeah, so, it, it sounds like. Yeah. Do what? What I've wondered is, do you do you own do you own an airplane? Like, do you have something in a hangar here in Huntington? I had an airplane that I right after purchase I put it in Charleston uh, mm-hmm. temporarily while we were waiting on approval. It was. And I'll just say it's simply the math of the hangar availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's cheap. You know, I was able to put uh, the aircraft there and store it there for a little while. I guess, you know, citation jet. And, oh, um, what? Yeah. It, well, it just you made financial sense. Well, you wouldn't be bothered to own some little two-seater. Oh, yes, I would. It would be thing, for my own personal. That's a that's a business asset. No, right? no, so no. I, well, oh, so I was asking about but, like for personal use. That's what I meant. No, uh, no, I, I don't. Right now, this is just for. <laughs> I, I I am actually come out of this whole ordeal as being just very focused and not a lot of not a lot of opulence or anything for myself. You know, I yeah. I, I live very conservatively. Um, you know, I don't splurge a lot on a lot of stuff. You know, I, I, I like to travel and I like to eat. I'd rather well, do than so, have. So say you're flying back you know? here to the three four. form. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you flying here in? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the airlines. I'm doing spirit or, you know, oh, so you, like everybody so like else. You're, uh, yeah. you're a, a customer passenger. I am, man. Okay. I'm, I'm racking up those miles. I, so I'm, well, I, yeah. my, my apologies. I assumed that you're flying one of your big fucking jets here, or well, little jets here. <laughs> and I then, have, and, well, um, and, no, and then I asked myself, so then I said, uh, he's probably flying into Charleston. And then I thought like, well, what does he take from here? Does he just drive to Huntington in a car or take an Uber or well, something? So or does he get in one of these little, uh, little teeny propeller driven planes to go to like the tri-state or or the or the, oh, the, yeah, air, the or like robert newland or um whatever the one is over in ohio um yeah lawrence county yeah <laughs> i've got fond memories of that but, but i i you know i reconnected with a, a, a with been a friend a long-term friend from high school and now we're in a relationship kind of happy you know kind of happy ending this whole saga mm-hmm. and in some regards that um, I'm in a great relationship from somebody from high school days and, uh, you know, the timing just, you know, happened to be right. Uh, we've been dear friends for a long time and both ended up kind of in, uh, the same place in life and all. So we, we, when I'm there, we, we stay together in Charleston. I have a place yeah. there that's, uh, that's near the airport and, uh, I'm able to just, you know, go there. Yeah. And uh, I come down to Huntington to see family <laughs> and friends and stuff. Some, but then yeah. you know, hang out because it, and it's handy for us because, like, the other thing that I did was kind of rediscover West Virginia, and mm-hmm. I've become a little becoming an avid hiker. Oh, uh, my cool. younger brother and I are gonna we're gonna hike the Grand Canyon rim to rim this year. Ooh, that's um, nice. so I'll I'll go hike at the New River. I'll go and from Charleston, those are really close. You get you get a yeah. lot of the natural yeah. beauty. You totally, get, you get. I mean, it's like forty minutes, man. It's not a not a bad drive at all. That's like that's like a traffic jam here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, <laughs> again, the thing I hated about that whole nothing kind of continuum was that West Virginia was kind of my treat. Go back home mm-hmm. 
for a long time. And then that turned it into, you know, when you have to do something, you don't have a choice, <laughs> which takes the joy out of it. Right. And, yeah. and so now it's kind of become my, that's my escape. I can come up yeah. when traffic and travel and work. I can, you know, I take everything with me. I've got my, you know, MacBook, my, my iPad, everything with me. I can set up the mobile office. Uh-huh. If I'm doing stuff with, with, for my business, then I'm, you know, I'm able to kind of conduct things. And especially now people can work anywhere they want. Yeah. And, um, you know, you get a lot done and still be mobile. And then I'm able to come back down here. If I'm going to fly, I just, I just came back actually the other day. I just flew yesterday. And then, uh, the day before I was in Charleston. So, yeah. um, it, it works quite well. And then, you know, I'll be back up in another week and, Gosh, um, I feel like I'm able to have that's awesome a, a to du- be able to do that. Yeah, <laughs> have a little bit of duality. Now that requires us having somewhat of a long distance relationship, but um, but it's as those go, it's a pretty good one, you know, mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of the, the frequency. You know, we get the quality of time together, not you know. Whereas, like, if you're working and you catch each other at the end of the day or the beginning of your day for that tiny finite amount, then you know. Yeah. Sometimes that's not that great. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Well, listen, uh, right before we part, cause I, I think this is coming to a conclusion. This is probably one of my longer interviews, to be honest. Um, may I, uh, name drop with you a couple names? Yeah. What you, what you got? So I knew, uh, I know two dudes here, uh, in Huntington who, have done like, uh, like the, the, the charter jet stuff. And, and I just wonder if you'd run into them. I don't, I don't need any commentary on them or anything. Cause I think they're yeah. dudes, but uh, do you know Steve Fetty? Yeah. Yeah. I've known Steve for a long time. We, yeah. we learned and, to fly. He's old, I think he's yeah. older than us. He's probably like five, six years older. Not than much. Us. Yeah. A little bit, um, but not much. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's out of the business. I think. Uh, yeah, right now he's not fine. He's, yeah, I've reconnected with him too. Well, he's doing like, he's a musician. Um, I'm not sure what else he does, but uh, I've played a lot of poker with him. Like he's in uh, those circles with me. <laughs> oh, cool. And then the Very sec- cool. And then the second guy is, um, now he's going to be younger than you and I, uh, Jeremiah Markham. That doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, no, I, and I think I think he was one of these JetBlue or NetJet pilots, uh, but no, he. I bet you he's ten years younger than you and I. So you might not have ever okay. come across him, but yeah. So I, I figured you knew Steve Fetty because he's been around forever, and he's kind of. I, you know, I I don't I don't run into too many people. There's a couple of guys I was roommates with from Huntington at Embry Riddle, and then the only person that's kind of like. From Huntington, and I've been, I actually had Scott Hornbuckle on my jump seat when I was at US Air. He's a JetBlue guy. Now, Hornbuckle, so, is he like uh, the Hornbuckle family here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he went to Navy. Uh, he was a Navy guy. And I then can't he, remember uh, all of his siblings, but I know, like, yeah. I mean, they're a big family. They're in politics. Yeah, big now. family. And um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's a, he's a great guy in, in aviation. Okay. I can't say that I'm terribly acquainted close but we knew each other and i was like hey man, how you doing and then um uh because i mean i was a 
I was an Air Force Academy nominee at Huntington High, and he was a Naval Academy guy. And uh-huh. then we kind of went back and kind of crossed paths back then, and then fast forward, kind of running into each other in the industry. And that's pretty cool to see of course, people yeah. from the same home. And that's cool. That's why I think it's kind of cool that Marshall's doing this program because there's a lot of great aviation ties to mm-hmm. West Virginia. I mean, you know, Chuck Yeager's from there, but oh, uh, there's yeah. a lot of other people. So, yeah. You know, we, we love, we love Chuck Yeager. And then who's this guy, um, that the school's named after Bill? No, Bill. No, no, Bill. No. Yeah. Bill, Bill. No is, uh, uh, I've crossed paths with him in my career as well. He is backgrounds with, uh, NetJet. Mm -hmm. Um, both, uh, and I think it was former CEO, chief operating officer of NetJet. I thought so too. Um, and I think that's like, kind of how he was involved with the, the university and with that program because he, because of that position. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. Very cool. Uh, very <laughs> cool to bring it back home and, and get involved with the program. And I think he's very, my understanding is he's very active with, with the program, which is, it sounds like awesome. it, all, the news, awesome. all the news I read, it sounds like yeah. he's very active in it. Yeah. 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 And, and he does, I know um, from my understanding, talking to him, not that long ago, it, it, I mean, he, he's out there still flying active in the contract flying world as well too. So, oh, very wow. cool stuff. You know, to, 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 you know that gives a lot of credibility, in my opinion, to somebody who's just active in the industry. And um, that's a, that's a great role model to have in it in the program. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, uh, as as I sign off with you, and we literally just ticked past three hours. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, it feels like nothing, but um, feel feel free to clip me down a little bit. You know, I, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you may and uh, and I know I told you I'd interview you as long as you wanted, but like, um, even I'm going to have to go rest now. Yeah, but um, I I do want to ask you. Well, so first of all, I want to thank you for being my guest on this. I think that um, you've been one of my better podcast uh, companions here. I think you've you've brought a lot of uh, knowledge and experience to the forefront here in the aviation industry, and and we've talked about your story. I know you, you've mentioned you want to write a book about it. Um, I don't have any insight on that, but uh, what I do want to say is, um, I, or I, I want to ask you this. So this is a closing question. And I think I posed this to you on a text message or whatever. Like, uh, how do I send off a pilot? I know, like, for for actors, you say, "Hey, break a leg," um, stuff like that. Uh, what is, is is there a common phrase or whatever to to wish a pilot you know, a, kinda, a good flight, you know, whatever? Yeah, but I mean, they're blue skies and tailwinds, you know. That, blue that skies thing, right? and tailwinds. Okay, I can remember that. I think I might have suggested yeah. in the text to you, like, and I, I know I, I put a question mark after it, but I said, like, uh, clear skies or something like that. But blue skies and yeah. tailwinds. Okay. There you go. Okay. Well, dude, I wish you uh, all of the blue skies and heavy tailwinds, as long as they don't impact your ability to land. <laughs> whatever um and i I'm, I'm i'm super happy that you're willing to talk with me i'm uh very grateful we could reconnect 
And um, I would just ask and encourage you, like, if you're ever in Huntington, reach out to me. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I, I have issues like uh, trying to hook up with people because my twins, my very young girls for my second marriage, like I've got to do a bunch of shit with them and I work my ass off anymore. Um, But no, like just let me know when you're in town and hopefully we can connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, time, like for all of us, it's, it's it's literally time dilation, right? We, we, the older we get, like, you know, an hour when we were young was uh, was an eternity, and now it's <laughs> a blank. And That's right. So That's right. we, I, I find I find months go by when I think it was yesterday. So yeah, absolutely, I'll reach out. We'll have to, to connect in person and, uh, and and sit down and catch up. But uh, this has been great. Um, I appreciate. It. Hopefully, it wasn't too long winded with this. I Not whatsoever. Lead with it, but and feel I'll tell free you to what, condense th- it down and break it up if you need to. I think I think this will just be straight up uploaded. Um, and I will tell you what, like, if the opportunity arises, and this is big if, um, I'll let you take me up in the skies. There you go. <laughs> I would love to do that. I'm serious. Uh, all right, man. Yeah, that'd absolutely be my pleasure. Well, you take care of yourself, man. And I, I seriously look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully very soon. All right, David. You have a good night, man. Thank you so much. All right. right. Bye-bye.